Right, this is going to be another episode of Summoning Insight with right, me and this is going to be another Some would say, I think people Insight, think it's about right? best show. Some say the two-man episodes are the best ones because there's no like awkward <laughs> person there. We don't have to cater to them. We just have the rapport from years and years. But if you enjoy the report of me and Monty, and let's say in CSGO, you were a fan of me and Richard Lewis on By the Numbers, and you've always thought, I like it on the Four Horsemen, but there's always that fourth person, isn't it? And sometimes Orange attacks them. It turns out he was actually right, but that's the thing about being a crusader, you know, sometimes viewed as a heretic. You would think to yourself, imagine if all three of them could talk about more things I enjoy. Like, for example, who doesn't enjoy movies, cinema, film, as we call it in the UK? Well, if you enjoy Richard Lewis, Monty, Thorin, cinema and film, then I've got something for you. It's called foreplay. And that's not just me teasing the shit out of you right now, getting you hard as a motherfucker, ready for some fucking action. Because here's the thing, we're going to be doing a movie show on the LFN Culture Channel. That's right, go and subscribe now. Why would you want to miss out? All the cool kids are going to be watching it. And on this particular series, foreplay, as the name suggests, it's going to be a movie series where we take a genre or a sub-genre and we pick four movies. We're even going to have a little theme where it'll be like, one will be like a famous one, one a little bit less famous, one a bit more out there than one like quite obscure because by the way me and Richard also have watched a bazillion movies Monty has his own interests and the point is we're going to watch the movie before the episode and then we're going to not it's not going to be a review it's more going to be like we just talk like we would about any topic about that movie it can be whatever angle can be the direction the theme the plot arguing about whether it's good basically think of that like James Bond thing we did the other week in that in that questions at the end it'll be a bit like that but with Richard Lewis involved in having his own opinions so it'll be coming up this week I'll wait for you to see the first episode, but I'd just get in there and get subscribed so that you get it in the notification box, in the algo, et cetera. That's right. And subscribe here as well. You guys did a great job. If you still haven't subscribed to our channels, what are you doing, man? I'm give us Twitch Prime. Just do it. <laughs> just do it. Just do it. Uh, and sign up for Discord so you can ask questions. You know, be become a, a Discord subscriber. Support the content. But yeah, the Last Free Nation Culture channel also had Nerd Legion going on there. Unfortunately... As we've discovered, most modern television is quite bad. So instead of focusing on me and Doa railing against terrible things, you can focus on me, Thorne, and Richard talking about things that we actually enjoy. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and the first, uh, the first topic or the first genre is going to be cosmic horror, guys. So that'll be fun. Uh, you'll see more announcements across social media, but we also have separate LFN culture social media. So follow that as well. Uh, you know, so when you say that, that's one thing that's always annoyed me is one. Right, if you just take all the negative slash drama slash critical stuff out, Monty, I still have more content than anyone in the history of esports. So I've always <laughs> thought people just attract what they want. So they know when they go, all you do is tweet negative. No, no, you know, you only come and read my negative tweets. You don't watch the bazillion videos I've put on the internet with all the tags and all the algo. It's all connected. Like you can watch my Twitter feed every day. I'm just spamming content. You don't watch that. But I do agree. A lot of times in esports now, we're very critical. Not least because one, League of Legends as a game has been incredibly mismanaged. Like I always think to myself mate think about like the worst is actually if you're korean or chinese think about the days when there were three slots for worlds so if you're in the fourth or fifth best team your whole career in the country of south korea you just don't get to play you just get to sit back at home and watch like some dickhead from clutch gaming go zero six and go the fuck i can't even play there then right hey, goes, sorry <laughs> sorry we've got our own version of frost scoring saying dead is too many koreans in this tournament meanwhile if you know if you're in csgo by the way if you're european you only have to be in something like the top 18 fucking teams you probably go to the major you can actually be like the 18th best team in our region <laughs> it's like see you at the world championship for your fourth time like this is fucking sick 
sick. So I have to say, the problem is that thing mixed with the corruption, mixed with people literally destroying the health of players, means it's hard not to be critical because those are important things. Like I, don't, I don't know if this is a newsflash, but it's more important if a player is medically malnourished than whether or not, like, maybe should have been his jinx angle on the draft. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's you that have got the fucking priorities. Like, I always say about that thing with Riot. You've got a, a hate border for Riot. Why don't you? At this point in 2023, why don't you have a hate What would it take? I mean, I said this about the EG people. They never, ever tweeted ever about what they did, Monty. It's like, for real, I'm not joking. At this point, my next question would be, would he have to be dead? Would he actually? Would that guy have actually had to die before like a tweet would come out, some acknowledgement? Like the esports scene is just fucking rotten. It's why we end every fucking episode of Four Horsemen. Like esports must die, essentially. It must. <laughs> it absolutely must. And I'm here. I, I I brought it into this fucking world, and I'll take you know, it out. That's an old school know, thing that your dad used to say. If you don't know back. In <laughs> I, I, you know, Thorin. I, I've asked some people too. You know, who? What would it take for them to actually talk about? the eg issue publicly you know i've said these are people certainly with things to lose uh from within the league of legends scene who work you know closely with riot but basically some of the answers i've gotten have been completely ridiculous such as well i'm waiting for riot to finish their investigation which is like come on like what do you think is going to happen here in this investigation so you can't say anything. Commission of League of Legends, of course. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't say anything because you're waiting for Riot to decide that EG did nothing wrong. Because if they decide EG did something very wrong, it would engender a huge wave of bad publicity. So, of course, they're just trying to to bury it. Remember what everyone yeah, waited for G2 the before of the they got VCT slot taken valid? They waited for like the official investigation. That happened. and it, Oh, that never happened. It was just the same day. Care about him? Esports, cancel him! Get the pitchforks! <laughs> It's a ridiculous industry. It's so stupid, isn't it? It's just so stupid. That's why what I do is I just flip it to comedy and make it funny because the actual aspect is tragedy. This is a fucking tragedy all day long in this industry, boys. Yeah, and the other thing I love is, you know, oh, well, we can't name Nicole LaPointe Jameson, even though two reporters, yourself and Richard Lewis, who have won a combined three esports journalists of the year, have basically shown as much as can be shown without disclosing sources that she was the source of all of these issues. So like, what does it take at a certain point? You have to have an well, official investigation from it Riot? Must be, a... must be the Lena angle. She has to accidentally leave the stream on and just go like, remember that time I just fucked that daddy guy over completely, wrecked his life, <laughs> and then read out all the rest of all things in her article. Then I was saying, into it, like, I, like <laughs> some guys, that was like a mirror. That actually made me believe in manifestation. I think our mind, that spoiler, I can't, here's the thing, if this is the movie Scanners, I imagine our minds are more powerful than double lifted Lena. So we obviously overpowered reality itself and tapped into the <laughs> The world soul, the monad, and made a manifestation of what we wanted to happen just occurred in life. Like, essentially, we tapped in the Lenovo, just activated, turned up the volume, and just fucking caught the whole thing. By the way, I've always thought that was the craziest detail people miss, Monty. She's not, like, right behind his mic. Like, you know on our mics, you always do. Like, can you hear that in the background? It's like a dog. And then you're always like, nah, you can't pick it up on the mic. Dude, somehow their mic setup was like, she could be in the other room, and you could just hear her crystal clear, like, on the phone. <laughs> that was almost, like, fake. Like, I'd, I'd think I think that was like one of those like TikTok skits where it's like, you know, they're really badly acted. Like, what the hell? You did that. Because you, you would have thought that was real. So that's not going to happen again, is it, guys? We're going to get that from the Colin <laughs> Point Jameson. I mean, I already had loads of internal documents, but like, and the problem with those ones is I'm always very wary about putting like a screenshot in case it shows something that gets somebody in trouble or there's four people in that chat. You've got to be really careful with that stuff, unfortunately. 
<laughs> I mean, I, I'm just impressed by the Lenovo technology that the mic is the internal mic on a computer can be good enough to pick it up. That's <laughs> just really impressive, actually. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I do agree with your assessments about you know the negativity around this stuff. It's also, I mean, obviously because. The, the the reason why the negativity exists is because no one else can actually be negative. So we look very negative in comparison. There's another thing. We, How many times do we have people the entire in these fucking stories to us? That's the other thing. I'm just sat here, by the way, not ever looking into any stories in League of Legends. And what happens is, because I did one video about EG being stupid in CSGO, now someone comes to me in League of Legends. Then they go, oh, by the way, I saw your story with the other guy. Like, here's more info. Like, they're giving me this info. That's where it's all coming from. I don't get it, mate, because no one would ever say it to any other job. Like, imagine that guy, fucking Vincent Hanna from Heat, where he's like a homicide and, like, crime detective. Someone just going, it's a bit negative, isn't it? It's just all bloody crimes for you and, like, heists and stuff. Like, you know, what's the cool things? Like, getting the cat out of a tree, like... Bro, I'm literally on the homicide division. What do you want? Like, fucking, yeah, it's pretty negative. It's like that scene where he goes, You want me to tell you about my day, honey? About how some crackhead put a fucking baby into a microwave? You want to hear about my day, honey? Like, fucking hell, all right. There you go. All the crazy ex wife in that movie, fans at home. Straight Fire movie, by the way. But look that one up. That it could is, be on popular one day. If we no, ever do I'm sure it will. Or crime movies or whatever. Oh, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Undoubtedly, one one of the one of the all time great crime movies. Um, all right. So, do I thought we could kick off this conversation with a discussion about Faker's legacy? Because, interestingly, oh, I'm we... in this case. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a C. There you go. <laughs> uh, interestingly, we have a very unique window into a what if universe, which is what if. Faker's teammates that he went to multiple international tournament finals with and three consecutive LCK finals had to play without him. What would that look like? And the answer is extremely fucking bad. Um, so, you know, there aren't that many times, I think, in a player's career outside of injury where you get these kind of unique windows into what the team dynamic is. And especially in a in an eSport, a team-based eSport, where shot calling is so important, right? Um, and play strategy is so important. And that's the thing is, because you don't have coaches in the game of League of Legends Live, it is up to the players to have that level of strategic planning and communication themselves. So it's very unlike traditional sports in that sense. Because most traditional sports, either you can't shot call in the same way you can in League of Legends because you're on the opposite side of a field or a court from each other, and any communication that you do is not private, right? The other team can hear you. That's why you have to use coded signals. Or there are coaches like in, in football, American football, that are there between every play, even have radios into certain players' helmets in order to help assess the situation. Now, obviously, the players still do have agency, which is why players like Peyton Manning were so impressive. Uh, but at the end of the day, like esports is still much more communication based during the game than most other sports. And I think we're seeing Baker's effect in that aspect, which probably most of us underrated. We're all looking at them as a mid laner individual player. We could all see that, like, the Chovies of the world, the scouts of the world, left them in the dust years ago, and he's not at that level. In fact, even in Korea, people like BDD are better. But what we're learning, like your analogy there, Monty, is Peyton Manning, uh, not Peyton Manning, 
Faker is like Drew Brees at the end. Yeah, his arm was gone. Yeah, he was getting injured. But like, you know, he obviously knew how to run the offense. He knew how to pass the ball to Alvin Kamara and go, now I'm going to get out of the way. It wasn't like the old days where he fired the rocket. Like, in this analogy, Faker knew how to potentially roam for top with Zayas, how to team fight. Probably, if you look at the shotgun, when not to team fight. That was the thing I always found impressive last year. They had that, like, counter meta where their style was that we don't engage, which was very rare, actually. Most teams just opted into those fights. Like, you saw MSI. So, what you see here is, one, Faker actual shot calling impact on the game and what he did like maybe he even knew he would get ganked and all that sort of shit maybe he's drawing pressure and then the other thing to me is as far as I can tell we talked about it many times on this show ever since Diney that guy got kicked out the team who had all those underwhelming results in all his teams ever since he got booted out they brought they had Paul come in who I noticed the T1 fans got fired immediately as far as I can tell the results are the same when Paul was fired by the way you idiots he wasn't the guy doing tactics he was there to be like a head coach from that moment on it really just seems like fake it is the coach as well, like we talked about in the past. Because the other people who came in, the style never changed, the way they played never changed, it was the same players. And you look now, like I joked on uh, Best Damn League Show, which is out on this channel, by the way, I joked with Dom, because obviously he's loving the downfall of T1. It's like, that's how you know Bengi even knows he's a fraud. Because when he saw the writing on the wall, he was like, I'm getting out of here before it actually like burns down around me. Like, if I go now, there'll be like a sub coach. Poor Tom, of course, has to take the beating again. The whipping boy. Of fucking you know what a whipping boy is? Look that up. That's an amazing I, I, I just The whipping I, boy of T1 has to come in, and he's going to be the one blamed when they don't make worlds. I just, I, I just love the fact that Tom was basically Bengi's substitute jungler in 2015. And now he's basically the substitute coach for whenever Bengi is failing, Tom gets thrown in this poor Udyr one trick. <laughs> it's too good. It's too well, good. Obviously he's able to bear a slap, Monty. That's the thing, isn't it? You know, <laughs> oh, nice. He can nice. take him. He is the whipping Very boy. Well, well done. It's so well sick, done. isn't it? I'd source it. Because here's the other thing. Spoiler, watch the competitive edge episode that comes out like tomorrow or something. We've already done the bets, don't worry. We're going just against T1 every time they're available. Like at this point in time, the real question isn't this, Monty. Will they correct course? Will they get... Right now, my question is, how bad can it get? Can they really <laughs> lose to everyone in the league? Because if they do, remember what we talked about like two months ago before MSI. This team had one of the best, the core had one of the best win rates in the history of League of Legends. Massive sample size, and they were like 90% win rate, like you pointed out. That is going to go in the toilet, I'm sorry. Even if they do cost correct, because here's the thing, it should still be possible. You do still have some really good players, but it's just that right now, I actually think it's the morale issue that's killing them dead, mate. I just yes, think the rest of the team's sort of like, fuck, we're just done. Like, we've lost the leader. Like, it is going bad. And by the way, just like Fnatic, TSM, when it goes bad in these teams, it's going to go really bad because they also know the fan pressure. They know that the trucks are literally on the way. They know that it's going to get really fucking bad for them. They, some of them might lose their jobs in their minds. I don't think so, but maybe they think that. Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, we'll talk about the morale issue, but you point out the esports bet, so we can talk about that angle right now. Just because some of these odds, we did Competitive Edge, it actually was just released on esports bet's channel. Oh, okay. If you guys want that content, uh, you can head on over there and and check it out. Please subscribe to their, their YouTube channel as well. Also, face check is over there if you guys are interested. Um, so basically, uh, what's been going on is that even their upcoming match versus Nongshim, Nongshim at one point had over 3.0 odds. And remember, this is a Nongshim that nearly beat T1 with Faker and Bengi. And now we have this these like underdogs. And considering that T1 just got completely slapped by DRX, it wasn't a close series. Sure, they'll have another week to integrate with Poby, but to Thorin's point, that's the issue with 
with having the morale. So T1 odds completely skewed right now. And you guys also should hit up our match of the week as we do every week here on Last Free Nation. The match of the week is Heretics versus BDS this week. If you place a prediction or a wager on that match, you can get an, an additional 10% bonus to your winnings up to $100 USDT. Uh, so that means, or it's equivalent in other cryptocurrencies. It's only on your first bet, guys, by the way, but it is a good way. I took the slight underdog of BDS because I think that there's a good matchup with Adam into Evie, and I believe in BDS more than I believe in Heretics making a miracle That's a, run, especially. Big, right? Yeah, yeah, it's two, over 2.0 for BDS. But especially with Zeri kind of and Yumi cycling out, I think that does limit uh, Heretics' upside on this patch. Uh, so I would check that out. You can also get our usual deals of a 50% deposit bonus up to $100 and $100 risk-free, or I should say, or $100 risk-free first bet. But in order to get the 10% bonus on our match of the week, you have to use our referral code, which is down below. So you can hand on over there now and get that done. But to your point about morale, Thorin, I, I mean, it has to be a morale issue because it's even the individual ability of the players that appears to be decaying because that doesn't explain why Zayas is, you know, Faker's non-existence in the team doesn't explain why Zayas's individual laning and individual ability seems to have fallen off a cliff. It doesn't explain, I, it kind of explains owner's inconsistency, uh, but he was inconsistent this split even before Faker left and so was Caria. You know, I just wonder how many times they can go to a finals because think about the legacy. To your point, you know, they went 18 and 0 last spring. They want, went 17 and 1 in this last spring split. How many how much do they have to win and yet they still have a negative record in finals? Uh, they've lost to Gen.G twice in finals. They won spring finals of last year, but they lost both international finals and they bombed out of MSI. They literally have one major title win to their name and it was in their honeymoon inaugural split with this yeah. roster and otherwise it has been a legacy of collapse in the moments that matter and that's at the best like you're saying so now if you take out the fake wrangle the most experienced player and here's the thing i'll say as well i can't even off the top of my head remember any time faker actually into the final he just sort of like didn't play like a star he just didn't go for it he yep. sort of like waited for them to give him the trophy or something didn't he so uh, here's the problem i think people went too far the other way he was never bad Fake hasn't been bad in this era. It's just that, like, he already showed those brief glimpses in spring of ever being, like, a dominant player again. Aside from that, his whole job in the team was just prop the team up, like, make the rest of the team work, which was brilliant. It actually was working, but when you take that piece away, like you say, he was the spoke in the middle of the wheel, and now it's just all, it's all just falling apart, isn't it? Yeah, and, you know, if you look at the way that T1 has played over the last year, they have relied a lot of the time on their shot calling. How many times have we seen them go for these 20-minute barons by playing the map well and be able to sneak it out from underneath their opponent. They're very famous for doing that, you know, playing with Vision in the Fog of War. Uh, they were running pick comps for a lot of this year. What do pick comps need? They need aggressive warding and strong vision control so that you can actually eliminate somebody and engage on them before they reach an objective because you're not necessarily as good as 5v5 team fighting with some of these compositions. Now, that takes a lot of forethought. In order to do that, and it takes strong shot calling. How many times have we seen them lay vision traps or do unexpected things on the map or lure people into bad positions? Apparently, that was all or mostly Faker uh, setting up these plans for the team. 
due to his vast experience in game knowledge. And now that they don't have him, you know, we'll never know for sure because the morale issue is also a killer and it's also affecting them. There's clearly multiple things that are going on. But as we look at this, it appears to be very, very good for Faker's legacy. Like the more this team loses, the better Faker is going to look in oh, terms sure. of his career. Justifiably so. Because that's always the part that you never get, actually, is the problem with league is you can't see what a teammate does for someone and you can't see what a shot caller brings. Like the best examples ever, everyone knows the original one was in the cloud nine when High stepped out. It was the same thing. High wasn't as good as a mid laner. He had failing health. In came Jensen, a way more skilled player. And even though Jensen was like good, the team just fell apart. Like Meteos didn't work then. Then they had issues with bot lane. Eventually, obviously, High had to come back and play like scoff jongler. Then you think of other examples in history. It's like, I think Perks leaving G2 is a classic one. Everyone thought, well, Reckless, that's a side grade, isn't it? Like he's as good in ADC, maybe even better. And then the team was about, I wouldn't say they were bad because they were certainly good in the regular split, but they were about half as good in pressure situations. They lost all that genius of stuff they did in the mid game. And that wasn't that it was only Perks, but you could see whatever he did bring, like I thought like like sort of uh, radiated out to the other teammates. It looks like it's a similar scenario in T1. Yeah, except arguably even worse because it doesn't look like we thought Caria was doing a lot of the, the shot calling on this team and his form has also been extremely suspect. So, I mean, Fakers, we, we knew some of Fakers contributions to comms because T1 releases comms and there there have been snippets, obviously, Faker doing things like, you know, split pushing and saying, oh, they're going to come kill me right now and you guys go do this objective while that happens and, uh, you know, self-sacrificing or being able to see the game a couple minutes into the future or manipulate the other team to doing what he want. But it has been, you know, it has been even more shocking than I think we expected. And part of that must be, you know, as uh, who knows what Bengi's contribution was to your point, Thorin. When Denny left the team in the after the spring of 2021, that was when they ran their failed 10-man roster. We said at that time, by the way, guys, another time where we were right, Faker is the coach of this team. Now, the reason why I knew that is because I know people who know these teams or who are inside of these teams, by the way. And so when, when we say things like Faker is the coach now, Faker was the de facto coach now, and he more or less has been this entire time. Sure, bringing in Bengi added some other voices, but if you're T1, this just goes with having a superstar player. If you bring in a superstar player with extensive experience, they are very difficult to coach. Who is qualified to coach Faker? Ooh. That's why I always said the angle on the LS hire that people don't get is crazy, is apparently Faker signed off on that. He was up for LS yeah, yeah. being like the strategic coach. That's actually an insane fucking W you can get there. That's why I told you I was so shocked by that whole incident. It's not about whether I thought he should be the coach. Like, the point is, Faker is clearly quite selective with who can coach him, as you're saying, not least because he seems to have, in his latter years, an unusually high level of understanding of the game that isn't just how to play mid lane. Yeah, and, and as an example, you know, it, we've seen the same thing in traditional sports. So Peyton Manning, when he was on the Broncos, had an offensive coordinator named Adam Gaze, who is had very little success outside of working with Peyton Manning and he got a lot of hype. Or some after that, right? Some he like was that and shit terrible, the terrible yeah. with the Jets. 
And so what you see is Peyton Manning was really the one who was the offensive coordinator of the Broncos. He was running that offense. And sometimes you need just kind of a pushover as a coach or a guy who's going to rubber stamp your decisions as a great player. But if we talk about Peyton Manning, who is probably the greatest quarterback in NFL history at making offensive adjustments at the line, who is going to do that better? You can't like, you know, it's very hard to find that person. And that person does have to be, you know, more or less a, a crony of the, the great player. And if Faker is doing the same thing and making these calls and these adjustments in game, it doesn't make sense to have a super authoritative strategic coach. They tried that with Danny. They tried that with the 10 man roster. It exploded. And then six months after that exploded, we, sh we see this roster that is doing super well. Now we can't know what caused T1's collapse in many of these big events because factually, T1 has been the favorite in every single final they've been in outside of summer last year. Anytime they've hit a, a domestic or an oh, international yeah, yeah. final, they have been a big favorite, including this spring that they lost. I mean, what's so crazy is that there, there are people who are rewriting history right now, and this really pisses me off, saying that T1 wasn't great during this spring run. Yeah. They are saying, oh, yeah, you know, they lost. They, they bombed out at MSI. The eye test checked out on these guys like a motherfucker. Dude, halfway through you this need spring to know, split. I made this point when we were on one of these shows. Dude, when we were down to the last four, Dom, Dom, the T1 here, had T1 winning MSI. I'm not saying that shit, I'm pointing out. If even he's like, fuck it, I'll hop on. That means that he just sees the trains coming into the station, mate. This is right. the time to get on. <laughs> like, I you know, I, I don't I don't know what to say. Uh, the T1 fans are very annoying. And I know people want to push against their but narrative because for T1 and Flackhead at the same time and like the bottle in like the, the internet, like their joke is everyone would get banned off the internet. Like the toxicity levels would be so high. <laughs> I know they're super annoying guys and I know we all hate them, but it is true that the spring split T1 in the carrier plays Caitlin and Jin, you know, support matter. I said everything. Yeah. Everything. They were so fucking good guys. If you watch some sure. of the plays they were making, if you watch their level of coordination, when you see owner and, and faker doing these mid lane dives with Gragas and Lee Sin, this team was executing beautifully. They were one of the cleanest teams by the eye test that I have seen, and I have seen the entire competitive history of League of Legends, okay? So let's not rewrite the narrative of the past. Now, once the meta shifted and whatever happened within that team that caused them to play so abysmally, especially against Billy Billy at MSI, we will never know. Why did they do things that were clearly against their strengths? Why were they focusing on trying to prop up top lane and ignoring Billy Billy diving them bot when they were the team that dove people bot for the entire split. We will never know why these things occurred. I would love to have been a part of those conversations or be able to listen in into why the decisions they made that it was self-sabotaging. I feel in many ways or perhaps overconfident, but this team was incredibly good. And especially as JDG was just kicking off and JDG was looking a bit shakier as they kind of put the pieces together. Now, that's entirely different now. JDG looks fucking amazing. Um, and they look fucking amazing at MSI. And it's hard to imagine them out, you know, losing the, the title uh, when it comes to LPL. It's hard to imagine them not being the favorite going into the world championship. 
But I do think it's it's good to recognize when T1 was super strong. And that's really the tragedy of this roster is that we never got to really see them complete their runs. They had extremely high highs, but when it mattered, they would flame out. And that's that sucks because I, I would love to see Faker win another international title before he retires. That's why if people don't remember, like if T1 was never good, then why did people call Kerry the best player in the world? By the way, if you're support, your team has to be cracked for you to be the best player as support. Like, it is not a position that can, by definition, carry the game. And in fact, I even thought, quite frankly, Monty, a lot of Western fucking players pushed the boat out trying to copy Kerry, and they couldn't. They didn't have the... When they played the Ash support, the fucking Kaisers, but it didn't look the same, mate. I even thought the analogy for you, it's just for you, no one else knows Overwatch. It's like that thing when Jornak was the best player in season one yeah, of Overwatch yeah. and all the other supports were like I want to be pocketed and then the coaches had to tell him like you ain't Jonak bro you know what I mean so it's like, I meant to use a waste of time if you don't know he was like the MVP as a support player it was the same shit so that's why that team was just it was amazing like they actually did look like if they won it'd be historic so yeah I agree I always hate whenever there's a shot for history and like the streak ends at 14 and the, the record is 15 or like you say someone's got I hate how many times someone's been going for a grand slam and they fuck it up last minute and like even G2 they fucked up in the last match they win one more BO5 a West I think I think people still haven't understood Monty one day separated a Western team being the only team ever to do the Grand Slam now, obviously the domestic ones would be easier but to win MSI and Worlds over fucking Koreans and LPL would have been like that would have been like something for the ages in esports. So I always think it sucks when history like just gets the swerve at the last second you don't <laughs> quite get it. you'll get blue balls on it <laughs> I mean, at least G2 did win an international event, unlike this iteration of T1. Uh, you know, it's, it, it is really hard. It is really hard to watch. And, and this is just the bias. You also have to consider that the bias of the format of League of Legends plays into this because we only get two patches that we play international tournaments on. Had we had a normal, and by normal, I mean normal in the history of all esports tournament cycle, uh, like we've had in many, many other games in the past over the 25 years of, of esports history that we have, um, you know, we would have seen an international tournament on the patch where T1 was super good and they would have won that tournament, guys. I hate to say they would have fucking smacked people at that tournament. But unfortunately, the peak of their form came in the, the middle of a regular season. Yeah, if this and, was the CSGO circuit, they'd probably win like two titles then and then maybe they failed a major in that analogy, you know. By the way, I'll give you a quick example where I do that foreign thing where I'm right and I'm historically correct. It just really irritates you that I am right and I'm the one saying it. So <laughs> get basically the whole episode. But watch this. You know what? Hey, guys, remember when fake, um, remember when Froggen, the Western faker, was playing on Golden Guardians? It was in season nine and he was really fucking good. He was winning on like Velcars. He was playing the Carthus when Carthus was a jungler. He was like matching up into people even though he had like contracts as his dodgy ass jungler and then obviously like Hortz was you probably thinking shut the fuck up talking about season nine that was four years ago for it oh really because last time Faker won an international tournament was season six how many years ago was that dickhead exactly so if you want me to <laughs> shut the fuck up about Froggen don't ever tell me that Faker is the player he was all that time the first half of his career he was mega the second half of his career is this captain role it's a totally different style he hasn't been the best for a long, long time now. So all I'm doing is just putting it into, you know, let's just get in the fucking contrast here. Let's see what actually is going on. Because all you need to know is this. 
the joke is, I'm going to be relative here, obviously. Froggen was better more recently than Faker was. There you go. Just drop that one. <laughs> whoa, whoa. There's the bath bomb for you. Sure, <laughs> I don't know. Faker is pretty good this spring, but whatever. No, relative. We're talking relative. <laughs> oh, relative. All right. Yeah, all relative right, to right. the region, obviously. Not like season um, two when Faker was just some new player normals and Froggen was better than him. All just that's all. Another thing that's true. That is true. We'll look it up. Objectively true. Faker didn't debut uh, until spring it. of 2013. Dude, Froggen made an OGN final before Faker. It's fucking slacker. <laughs> what are you talking about? This guy needs to step his game up. I'm going to act all day. Also, uh, here we go. Froggen also made an OGN final in his first season in OGN. Faker didn't do that. Exactly. There you go. So all I'm saying is, which F is the better one, Frog and Faker? Will we ever know? Sadly, they didn't play each other, except that one be one All-Stars, Frog and one on Anivia. Why, why, why do you remember these things? I remember everything, but don't worry about that. Don't you worry about that. I remember it all. Why, why the joke you... is, here's the trivia. Because Faker agreed to play the Anivia as a 1v1 matchup, because Froggen's Froggen, he didn't even try to kill him. He just farmed him one by got in the 100 CS, which is also the most genius way to win the 1v1. Because <laughs> obviously thinking, like, we're going to get like some part. And he's like, no, it's, it's like, I'm Froggen, homie. You don't know what I do. You know, Barishnikov danced, you know, Pavarotti song. This is why I farm minions on Anivia. Watch me farm. Froggen PVE. PVE to the win. Exactly. fabulous fabulous um uh yeah so i i just thought it'd be an interesting conversation because the the legacy of faker continues to grow and like what i love about this i mean obviously well, i don't love faker well, we'll being see, in physical pain the obvious angle that will really make it the perfect movie is if he somehow comes back fucking like he's come oh my god it's willis reed he's here for the finals if he rocks up for playoffs plays and he's decent mate <laughs> <laughs> they can never talk I any mean, faker ever again then it'll be godlike what, won't it what happens if the entire team starts playing better i because that's the that's the thing is that it's not just him gone the other his teammates are playing badly probably because they're demotivated which i i don't even blame them like the expectations on this team from the fan base from absolutely everybody not even their anti-fans there's huge expectations around these teams like the haters have expectations and it is very difficult when you've fallen short so many times. So if you see the renaissance of T1 when Faker returns and they look like they can snap back into form immediately, and it looks like to at least a certain degree, part of that is his shot calling and his presence within the games. I mean, the, the mystique around Faker grows substantially. It's going to be glorious. I mean, I oh, hope man. it happens because, frankly, like, the rest of the LCK looks kind of shit, so... And also, all I'm going to say is this. Obviously, Faker is the muse. That's why, when I say this name, you're all going to think, yeah, where has he been? Where's Fion been at for the last, like, two years? I tell you what, Faker comes back and they make the finals. They'll probably do a fucking article again. Like, the old Fion might come back. Fion might be on fire again. Never know. <laughs> well, he's he's know. in Valorant now. We we lost Jeez, him. We lost him Louise. to Valorant. <laughs> That's gross. <laughs> Man, you used to watch StarCraft you used to watch StarCraft, and now you're already at the league. Now you're in Valorant, like children CSGO. <laughs> once, mate. Come on, have some self-respect. Have some self-respect. Then again, in some ways, I'm CSGO and you're Valorant. So it's the same if we're doing a ratio. <laughs> I don't know if you saw this, Thorne. There's, there's been a funny tweet from some random, like, Australian caster that's been making the rounds on oh, Twitter. What's this? Oh, hold on. Let me let me find it for you, because it, it's actually an interesting take 
about the role of casters. Uh, oh, I what you on. mean? It was the one that was about like CSGO versus Valorant and how like in a, was that, uh, is that the one you're talking about? No, 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 no. Here, let me link it for okay. you. It's, hold up. It is, um... okay, here we go. Maybe we can maybe we can bring up a screenshot of it as well. So it's from this it's from this random guy. Um, I've never heard of this he, person okay. We've never heard of this person. He's an Apex caster. I'm Brad. He's Australian, and he says esports hot take: casters are the least important part of a broadcast and should be paid like it. He is, by the way, a caster himself. Admins, observers, and production are more essential to a broadcast. Weird question for you, Monty. Then logically, in a market, why aren't they paid more? What he's doing there is what they used to do to me. And are you ready? I don't care about being the villain. I'll show you that I am. In some ways, I was a diva once upon a time. When I used to work for like A-League, massive events, when basically I got hired and offered every event in CSGO, Monty. I used to turn them down because I didn't want to bloody fly long haul from Korea back to Europe and NA all the time, every fucking two weeks. So when I was at like full diva status, because at the time you didn't get, you used to get any breaks as an analyst, Monty. You used to actually just work 14-hour days and you didn't even get travel days. You just arrived the day before then just began work at 8am the next day. So at the time, you had to be on your game. You had to be at the top of your level all times with no breaks. Even when you got back home, you'd have like two hours to wind down. You had like four hours to sleep. Then you have to get up and go to the thing again. When we were all stressed like that, I used to even say, look, I'm going to be a diva to Richard because here's the thing. I have to get the food at the time they say it's going to be here before the match. I have to have the drink I want to drink in order to be at my peak, peak level. Because in this scenario, if they don't do their job properly, no one sees that. But my job looks shitter. I look like I'm failing. And so there used to be people, I know Scoots was in this camp, where they had the same bullshit commie argument of like, hey, man, you know, the cameraman and the fucking guy bringing us the food is just as important. It's like, no, no, Scoots, he is important relative to the fact that we care about him and he has as a value to the role, but he by definition can't be as important because it's a finite level of importance to go around. <laughs> and if he doesn't even turn up, I still have to do my job. And at the end, no one would fully know. Meanwhile, if I don't turn up, he can't just go out with the balls of water and start going, I don't know, but cobblestone richard like so by definition he isn't as important and not anyone but a lot of people can do that job i mean i'm just going to say this right now i've literally known people who were just girlfriends of pros who've done that job immediately in event now would you see someone replace me just some girlfriend go on esl colonic well alex i think on the second map they're gonna no so my problem with this is this this guy is one of those fucking young people who doesn't even understand economics. He actually thinks that they are fucking paid. Like, he goes there. They should be paid like it. They are paid based on the market of the price set by the top people. If there is no interest, by the way, you could be the best caster in the world. This happened to Frost Gorin. No gigs. Doesn't matter. No one will pay you one cent to cast LPL or LEC at the time. But when you're really, really good, even someone I don't like, like I'll use Gabby Durden, right? I don't like her. She, she keeps getting hired. I'm sure she gets paid a nice day rate. Doesn't matter that I don't think she's that good. She gets paid whatever she agreed with Riot. And it's not like the USSR. There is not a commissar of casting who's like, give uh, Gabby Durden 10 credits. Um, Monte Cristo, one only. And off to the Gulag for Summerstad. Like, there's not like that. No one is deciding. Or like, there's no like, you're not worth that. You are worth whatever negotiating uh, power you have and whatever price you settle on. So all he's done there, like an idiot, is be like, I think the rest of 
are all more essential. Well, then why aren't they able to use that leverage? Why is an admin not paid as much as Monte Cristo for scoring Gabby? Why are they not paid as much? Because by definition, they're not like, what you mean there is in my Narnia fantasy world, they should be paid more. That's but, an okay statement. It's just shit. It doesn't mean anything. But but here's the thing. Here's the thing, Thorin. I actually think that people in production are getting paid more than casters these days, not based admins, on what I know. Not. Well, <laughs> not, 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 not admin, not the refs. Yeah. But, but, here's, but, yeah. but here's the thing, here's the thing about the market. So, like this guy is kind of right, but he's not right because he knows things. He's kind of accidentally right in this but case. Oh, Dora, because you know the thing about Dora is he'll never actually just be like, shut it, you cunt. He's obviously <laughs> not me. So he did it in the most Dora way ever, but it's a pure slab. He just goes, I think this might be the most ignorant thing I've read about not just esports, but broadcasting in general. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like, oh! <laughs> savage drop the bird on this motherfucker. I love it. I'm going to retweet that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, when we talk about when we talk about esports and your your point to your point about the market, Thorin, if you are a producer and you live in Los Angeles, you have a lot of different things that you could go do oh, because there's tons of production going on in the city. So in terms of the market, they actually do kind of now it's still you know a dream gig for some people, probably the lower level producers, but the experienced producers are paid extremely well. Uh, to be on LCS. Now, the problem is there isn't a market for the other casters because Riot has a total global monopoly on League of Legends. There isn't a way for Kobe to go do analysis in another game without learning another game, which is what I had to do to escape the Riot fucking caster gulags, guys, because I basically, I more than doubled my pay by leaving League of Legends. Um, so, you know, there wasn't really a good reason to stick around. Now it required me to learn Overwatch and to develop other skills, but that has served me very well over time. And I certainly have made more money than I would have if I stayed with League of Legends, especially now because they've completely capped the caster rates. So when we talk about whether casters are important to broadcast, also think about the latest big esports game, Valorant. Where do people watch Valorant? It's not on the mainstream, guys. As a caster, you are at best a side, a background voice in Tarek stream. Tarek stream, the co-streamers get literally 75% of to 80% of the viewership within Valorant. It is absurd. And if you think those casters are going to continue to get paid well in Valorant when they are completely disposable because they're not even really being listened to on those main broadcasts, you got another thing coming. In this case, weirdly, here's the thing about the market. The market for observers in Valorant is a lot of people who used to be uh, observers for Counter-Strike. So they actually do have a market where they could go to Counter-Strike, work in Counter-Strike events, or work in Valorant events. And so I imagine they are getting as paid As far as I well. know, the people who are the biggest in Valorant at the moment are two of the casters who were the main, uh, observers who were the main two Sapphire, in CS4 yeah. and Prius. And that's, yep. I think, why they choose Valorant now, is I actually think that Riot pays them more because of that exact reason, and probably to get the name value and get someone who knows what they're doing and all that shit. Yeah, so... I mean, I, I, the weird thing is, is that this tweet isn't necessarily wrong about the future of the industry as the co-streamers continue to gain traction. And in some games, they are the vast and overwhelming majority of the viewership. Do I think that's going to happen in CSGO? Well, it has happened in non-English versions of CSGO, obviously with Gallus. Um, do I think that's going to happen in League of Legends or CSGO in English? Probably not. But the problem here is that we will never know. 
because riot is basically what they're going to do is they're going to hold people hostage on their on their streams by what what i mean about this is that you'll notice that the vast majority of casters outside of Cadrill do not have any co-streaming and Cadrill doesn't have co-streaming rights to lcs as far as i'm aware and so there you know lcs isn't going to give captain flowers co-streaming privileges for the matches that he's not casting because they want to continue to hold all of the lcs casters basically prisoner on the broadcast for whatever rate they say and fuck you because we're not going to give you co-streaming rights if you leave I mean, it's it's a pretty grim situation for casters overall. And to his point, most of these esports companies do think that casters are the least important part of the broadcast, and they are getting paid like it. The problem is when he says admin, that is so pushing the boat out. It is mental. <laughs> that is like for real, some like fake ass pop star. Imagine, I mean, like I'll have to pick someone who's alive still. So maybe I'll say like Bruno Mars. That's how old my references are. That's like 10 years old, but whatever. To me, all the kids are into Bruno Mars, right? So imagine Bruno <laughs> Mars at the giant concert, Monty. He's just on the concert. He's going to go home with four different women and be paid $7 million for this tour. And he goes, you know, hey, hey girls. Cause I assume he talks like, fucking michael jackson he looks like him she goes hey <laughs> hey girls you know the thing is like i don't like being all the center of attention but then again see you later though but the thing is <laughs> i always thought like the the get the security guys and the people who bring me my water they're the real heroes of the show i wish they were paid seven million anyway oh sorry is that my is that my stretch limo gonna go guys see it's been real like fucking it's so it's such a ridiculous take and also the obvious joke like monty said's right there look come on mate I know a thief thinks everyone steals, but just because you're not worth being paid a lot of money doesn't mean we are. We don't really know what we do. You, your most famous moment ever was getting dunked on by Dora in this fucking tweet. And that's Dora, for fuck's sake. One of the sweetest men to ever. He's even just had a child. He's like, good night. Uh, let me just uh, politely dunk my nuts on this guy's face and good luck with your career, though. Yes, like, I love it. I just love it. I love because because it's like he just did the most like fucking tepid, but at the same time savage bird. If you know who he is, it's perfect. Yeah, perfect. Uh, but anyway, he he is correct because the market isn't there. There is no market. It is a monopoly that exists. So casters are de facto the least important part. Now, if there was a free market then we could see how this existed. And and in a way, you know, a lot of us, myself included, watched tons of StarCraft II because of Tasteless and Artosis. The casters were the, the most popular people uh, in the early days of esports or in the mid, I shouldn't say early days, the mid days of esports. It's only recently that they've been eclipsed by streamers, but the rights to the broadcast that would be popular, we know this because of Cadrill's stream, the rights to the broadcast would be popular with them if they were allowed to co-stream, but they just aren't. You know, they just aren't. If you're a There's caster, you're just not angle. allowed to co-stream. There's also the angle from Valorant, where again, no one can ever speak about this, but I can, so I'll say it. We obviously did a Four Horsemen episode on it. There's also the thing where Riot and ESL before them are fully aware that Tasteless and Artosis ran the whole industry and had insane leverage. So they, they don't did. ever want that again. They don't want it like Day9, where Day9 did an IEM and they had to pay him loads of money and he got the VODs for his YouTube channel. That's like, what? Like, what do we even what are we even doing the tournament for that we don't even keep our own broadcast rights? So basically, because they don't want that, the best example ever is 
you could have had one of the all-time great casting or analysis pairs ever in esports in Sean Gares and DDK. They, from day one of the beta, wanted to be those people. But because Riot continually broke them up, swapped their roles, didn't hire one to play mind games, hired the other one, but then didn't pay them as much, because of all that shit, they literally retired from broadcast, guys, and went and did jobs. Like, Sean Gares, I think, now works as a content creator for Shopify Rebellion and was working previously with 100 Thieves. DDK is like the GM of 100 Thieves or whatever. He's like, a, he's a desk guy in, in VCT as well. So he's still working with Riot. Yeah, but for like a whole year or two or something, he wasn't right. doing anything. Like these were the best guys. Like that would like, that you've took the best people out of your ecosystem by what a dickhead you are. So the joke actually is the other way around. The actual absolute best talent, like Monty says, don't actually make their value. The TOs do everything they can to fuck with them and make sure they keep them down and keep that rate suppressed because they also know in the rare bad examples, how crazy someone else could be if they held the fucking kibosh and could bring it down on Riot at any moment. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole ecosystem is just wild right now for casters. Like, it's okay in CSGO because at least there are still competitive tournament operators. But even then... You know, the fuckery around exclusivity. Yeah, and the, you know, the fuckery around hiring for the Blast Major was, you know, not great because the companies are now taking it to the degree where when they have a major, they won't hire the best talent in the world because they don't work for their company, which is a really shitty way to celebrate the pinnacle of CSGO. So it is, uh, it's, it's actually grim out there. And this is why people ask me, oh, yeah, Monty, I want to become a caster. My answer is why? Why would you want to do that right now? It is fucking terrible. And oh, man. Back in the day, if someone ever came up to Richard at an event and was like, I want to get into his spots, he'd just be like, don't bother. <laughs> I don't know exactly I mean, I what he meant. I think you can get involved in esports, but being involved as a, you know, being a caster right now is just so garbage because there's just a, such a hard cap on the amount of money you can make and the, the, the where you could go with your career, that it's just simply not worth it. It is simply not worth it. Uh, you should be doing literally anything else with your time, including other things in esports. It's not necessarily an esports problem. I don't agree with with Richard's kind of grim take, but that's just who he is. <laughs> He's a very dramatic person. <laughs> uh. Well, here's the thing, Monty. We got up to a high there. We're obviously feeling a bit irritated. It was getting a bit bit heated, wasn't Here it? Here it goes. Mitch like when you enjoy cannabis products, except the difference is you want to ride out the high then, don't you? So here's the thing. You can actually get to the high without the irritating part. Imagine if I could just deliver all my jokes and straight fire points without that sort of fucked up self-aggrandizing thing where I credit myself and call out all my haters and mention how no one can do what <laughs> I do. Pat myself on the back 50 times and then be on my own hype man, basically. That's my problem. That's another, that's another thing I have from back in the day. So what I would obviously do if I wanted to do that with cannabis products is I would get a freeze pipe from thefreezepipe.com. And even though I am Thorin, I already have a freeze pipe. In fact, I even have the twin turbo one. They sent me that one. Shout out for that. I obviously, if I was going to buy one, would do it through Last Free Nation because if I wasn't me, I'm absolutely arrogant enough to believe I would support me in a different life if I was sort of a clone or an alternate reality. In fact, if I could go back in a time machine to a different timeline, I'd just support myself. I'd subscribe to my own Patreon. I'd give myself Twitch Prime. I'd use all the codes. I'd watch Competitive <laughs> Edge. I'd thumbs up, like, subscribe to all the YouTube channels, including 
you know, I found Culture Channel. I didn't even watch that fucking nerd culture thing that I don't watch because I hate Star Trek and think only Star Trek Next Generation was good. But anyway, if I was to do all that stuff, obviously, you? when I smoke cannabis products, I wouldn't just go straight in, fools rush in, remember? I would wait, I'd take my freeze pipe using the code LFN, 10% off at thefreezepipe.com. I would take the food safe glycerin chamber. I especially like my chambers to be food safe because the thing is, the chamber in Valorant wasn't food safe. It wasn't even something you could eat. It was a virtual character, an agent. It, is it called agents in that game? Yeah, I think it is. Yes. Agent, yeah, agent inside yeah. that. Whereas in real life, it's an agent for getting you cooler smoke and a nicer smoke experience. Because <laughs> you put it go. into the freezer for only one hour, only one hour. That's less than the uh, time I had to wait yesterday for the LPL to go to that last series to do Best Damn League Show with Dom, which is on this channel right now. We talk about <laughs> Reckless, 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 Carlos, T1. Yeah, there we go. We've got all the fans, got all the engagement. <laughs> That's good. Now, what I would do then is I'd take out the freeze pipe food safe in chamber and I'd go... Love the fact it's fruit safe. Oh, bit bit cold, but okay. I'd put it into my bong, the freeze pipe. I would then smoke cannabis products. THC and other cannabinoids would also enter my system. And I would just really enjoy it. Wouldn't I have a great time? Wouldn't have any of that annoying shit where you thought next day, like, oh, I can't talk. No, it'd be great. I'd just be speaking like this still, like a guy who sounds like he's 25, but he's actually 40, pushing a little bit more than that. But you don't need to know that. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about that. E40. I'm also a great rapper from the old school. There's a, there's a reference from the real old school for you. Now, obviously, if you want to enjoy this kind of scenario, you can go to thefreezepipe.com, use the code LFN for 10% off. That's it. That's the end of the segment. Now we're back into talking about League of Legends. How, how dare you say that TNG is the only good Star Trek? Look, there are two good Star Treks, and the best one is Deep Space Nine. The second best one is TNG, and then all of the rest of them suck. Okay. By the way, the original doesn't hold up at all. Do not no. go back and watch that. Like, <laughs> I've even always told people, dude, the thing that holds up the worst about that is that Kirk just goes to planets where they're not even fully like human, Monty. They're like, just, they look, you know, they're like, they have two legs and arms. He just fucks anything that moves. It's mental. <laughs> like, dude, have you not even thought to yourself? Like, if if no species of yours has ever had sex with theirs, what if when you put the dick in, like, it just their whole shit's like, it just chops it off or something? What are you talking about? What, you're just taking chances. He's like the first guy ever to see a fucking, one of those Hoover attachments and go, wait a minute, no one's coming back till three. <laughs> this guy was fucking, he was up. That, that character is like, it's when you remember the best ones, like the movies, he was good. That show was mad overrated, mate. It was mad sketchy. I mean Kirk boldly goes. What can you say? <laughs> he's, he's an explorer. He's an explorer. He's perfectly uh, he's perfectly equipped to that role. Uh, but yes, I I think I think the original series is insanely overrated. Uh, good for its time. Didn't age well, but DS Nine aged really well. It is a great show. Uh, but that, you know, for me, the the watching of Star Trek is mostly just a vain hope that it will eventually return to being good. Uh, but that hope is dwindling because they keep making Star Trek shows and they keep not being very good. I will say, Strange New Worlds is okay at times, but a lot of the reason why I'm doing this is just to keep up with this stuff with Doa, and it's it's actually funny to make fun of it. So there you go. Uh, but yes, yeah, I actually do have a whole mad thing. I'll probably do it as a video on my own though. I've got a whole thing I could do about Star Trek and how it's not actually badly written. It's it's actually, it's literally part of the culture war and they essentially intentionally, it's like Star Wars. They subvert expectations and ruin all the storylines and make the characters. Like I'll give you a little freebie. They always do put a Kirk-esque character in these shows now, but his job is to be lectured by all the female characters. Like that Indiana Jones <laughs> thing. Where it's, your job is just to be there like, listen, dad, and I'm sick of your heteronomic. It's all that shit. 
it. Like, so as a result, like, I think they've actually intentionally ruined these shows, mate. That's it's essentially a humiliation ritual. It's like your punishment must be more severe, not until you have seen the last Star Trek, then you may die. Like, ah, uh, the, the shame, Dan. There you go, always, always. Because what you just saw that trailer where it's like, yeah, and you killed a lot of indigenous people. What are you talking about? Indiana, bro, it's Indiana. He stopped the Nazis. What are you talking about? They were gonna get the fucking holy grail and live forever. Were you, I think he's done a pretty good job. I mean, it's gonna say that I think he was pretty good, Indiana Jones. All right. To be fair to the latest Indiana Jones movie, he is actually portrayed as the virtuous one in that because oh, she wants to steal all the artifacts and sell them, and he's like, "No, that's not ethical." Oh fuck. Well, she owns some, yep. like, no ethical consumerism under capitalism. I'm just going to sell off all this shit on eBay. Like. She literally tries to sell everything, and he's like, no, stop doing that. So he actually redeems her in many ways. Just, just putting that out there. It, okay. it, 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 was, it was better than you think it would be. Is right. it good? It's okay. I'll still but it is... it, so it's all good. I believe you. Yeah. I'm going to watch it. Don't worry. But here's the thing. I used to save movies at that Monty. I know we don't travel anymore, but this is back in the day. I always used to tell people, and I know a lot of casters did this, we always save the not very good superhero movies for when you're on the plane and it's like, you want to sleep, but you can't. And it's like, I've got to just do something for two hours. That's when it's like, right, time to watch yep. Green Lantern. Exactly. Who gives a shit? Another whiskey, please. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> this is it doesn't matter because all you need literally is just things to flash in front of your eyes. Like I've told people the story before. I've even out the side of my eye watched Frozen when that little kid in that story just watched it like seven times. I could, obviously, you can't not see any peripheral. I've just seen the whole story like, holy shit. Anyway, yep. back to League of Legends. Uh, so interesting piece of detail here's how you know T1's actually fucked you might not have seen this because you might not have been on Reddit apparently the other day LS and Friends beat T1 Academy with fiddlesticks (laughs) bro and the the skill vampires got into T1 Academy (laughs) the place that produced like fucking Scout all these players in T1 now like these great players somehow now LS is just Banging them. All LS right. is masters in Korea. Like, all right. A few, few things. I think LS actually had some like pro players or former pro players with him on that one. Uh, secondly, the Academy is the one below challengers. Oh, thirdly, right. confused, right? Fair yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thirdly, thirdly, if these players are not good enough, I don't know anything about these players, but if these players are not good enough to be on T1's challenger team, which is the, one of the worst challenger teams. There and I think in the in, in the academy they've won like one game out of twenty eight so far. They are a miserably bad team, like third tier team. That said, Korea's talent pool is still deep, and I'm sure they're still very good players. Um, so it's not unimpressive, but yeah, there you go. Um, so another LCK development that happened very recently in the last couple of days is that Bible is now in at D plus Kia, which is a super. I always thought, by the way, because that player obviously played a while back, if everyone remembers. I always thought that was a true travesty that that player didn't play in LCK when Doa used to cast. Because if you (laughs) know how deep Doa's bag would have been on Bible... It would have actually been amazing. I'm telling you right now, that's one of those ones where it's like, it's almost like an alley-oop. It's like, just go, it's just so go good. get it, you just You'd have done a full 60 <laughs> slam on, on this motherfucker. I know it. He is the way to the truth for D+. Uh, but he, for those of you guys who don't know Bible, who maybe weren't watching last year, he did sub in for a few games on D+, Kia. This is back when they still had Dokdam and Nogari. He had one game that he won and looked really impressive on a Mumu versus Gen G. And remember, this is when Gen G was super good, like the favorites in the league last summer. Um, and also some context that I discussed with Wolf is that 
D-plus's challenger team, so their tier two team, went the entire first round robin, 9-0 and in best of threes, but they also went 18-0 and in games, and they only lost their first game. They're still 11-0 and in best of threes, but they only lost their first game against Breon's challenger team this last week. So they have been an absolute tear. There's been tons of hype for Lucid, the jungler, and uh, Thanatos, the top laner, about maybe being like the next, you know, big rookies within the, the LCK environment. And the reason why they, they have allegedly made this switch with putting Bible in the main roster is that he is better at engaged supports. Now, we've seen this in games that he's already played within the LCK, and he also is a shot caller. And that's why we thought, actually, last year when D-plus was, or Dom one at the time, was having all these issues with their shot calling in game that Bible would be a permanent change. But he came in really fast. I think Kellen had COVID at the time. Then he came out and that was it. And that was the end of it. And he went back down and has now been leading this challenger squad to this amazing run. But it does seem like this might be a more permanent change this time. And I haven't been able to watch the games yet, guys, because this is being recorded at 8 a.m. my time. And those games happened in the middle of the night when they played Live Sandbox. But D plus did 2-0 live sandbox last night and we did see uh bible on some engaged support so i'll comment more about his particular gameplay once i watch those matches probably on the monty and wolf show this coming week but this seems like a good change because the shot calling issue was never really sorted out for d plus especially in some of their late game scenarios and the other problem has been that when canyon has been able to play carry junglers d plus has done very well this split when he has been on Sejuani duty or engaged duty, he's looked kind of shit a lot of the time. Uh, when he's on Maokai, for example. So if they can kind of shift the engage burden to Kana and to Bible and open up Canyon to do these wacky flexes that he's known to do, I think this could be potentially a very successful change as they get settled into it. I'm, I'm excited. I wish they would have done this sooner, frankly. Sure. Oh, yeah. It's it's interesting. That's that's the latest on the the LCK news outside of KT being continuing to absolutely roll people. Um, Luckily, because get... KT is way better. They will, Gen G KT is the final. Will still be a banger. That'll still be a great series. And uh, it's interesting to see you all win. Like there's so many good storylines come out of it. Yeah, and at the very least, guys, I do appreciate that roster changes are being made both kind of non voluntarily in Hanwha's case and voluntarily in D Plus's case. Because the thing about Korean teams has been they have been famously reluctant to make roster moves halfway through the season. And it's surprising that they're making them halfway through the summer season, which is even closer to the, the playoffs, to Worlds qualification and Worlds itself. But you know what? Like, given the state of the league and the state of D-plus and Hanwha... I think they need to make changes if they're going to be competitive internationally because obviously Hanwha had a lot of issues with Clid both inside and outside of the game. Grizzlies looked halfway decent. Hanwha plays KT tomorrow, so that'll be some very interesting data that we'll have. And then from D-plus' side, you know, they had some really clear flaws that I think would not have held up very well at the international level. If they can get their shot calling together, maybe they can be a good team. P-word is maybe, but... Maybe. <laughs> Thing is, that's they the have one. been really inconsistent. 
Part of me, anytime someone was a really good player in the past, I always do pull from the comeback. Like I always want Clint to actually have some fucking pop-off game again and show that he was a good player, you know. I hate it when they've just become a meme at the end and everyone will just think they were shit. Like, the worst example in LCS ever is Zion Spartan slash Darshan. Because he was in the academy for years, he wasn't that good even there. Everyone thinks he's a meme. Like, this guy was a fucking monster in season four and season five. He was like one of the Audi NA players that could split push. Like, I hate it when people's whole legacy just gets tossed away because the nephews didn't see him play, you know. Yeah, I mean, he was very, very good at one point in time and was one of the dominant top players, at least at his own specific style, and he created win conditions for the teams that he played for. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely true. Uh, speaking of other roster moves to untried players, Team Liquid switching over to APA in the mid lane. Bit of a, bit of a surprise there, but Harry's performance has been extremely underwhelming since he started, and I think... You know, Team Liquid trying to bank on mid lane and AD carry. We talked about this when they created this roster. Mid lane and AD carry, the carry roles, both being rookies with some super veteran players, may not be the best move for Liquid, right? So, the APA move, you mean? Yeah, yeah. The I mean, APA we talk works. a bit about this on Competitive Edge, by the way, but basically my take goes like this. Obviously, he does look like a better player. I mean, I always thought Harry was just the most fucking fraudulent player. No, he plays mid lane as well, guys. Like, this is how I know TL. They used to be one of the best orgs at getting good talent. They had the choice to just retain Jensen. How's that age? He's had one championship since then, you dickheads. Even on bad dignitas, he was good, right? You could have kept Jensen. Instead, you swapped to Bjergsen at exactly the wrong moment. The wrong moment. And then after that, you go to Harry. And so obviously the whole thing you were resting it on was this stupid theme of like, it's an all-Korean team, but like, don't look at the flags. They can speak Korean. And it's like, that was going to be your superpower. That was going to make Pioshik like a godlike MVP or whatever. Like, it never worked. It never happened. And the joke is now, they're right to just break that up and just, just bring in a good player. Forget the Korean shit. Let's just bring in a good player and try and get a few games. And obviously they're hoping the dream is, it's not going to happen, is that this is going to be like the MNS effect when he came in after Diplex and suddenly he was tearing it up and people weren't prepared for him. Like he had the pop-offs early. I think it's interesting though with APA because what I like about this guy is he just has balls. You know, he's going in, he's all inning, he's listening to his comms and we've seen him kind of make very aggressive plays on unorthodox champions like Ziggs and commit to to plays that are being made by Pioshek. So already the synergy looks a lot better. I'd rather have a player like APA who is at least there to, you know, make, try and believe in himself to make the play rather than Harry, who never really developed a style or apparent synergy with the rest of the roster. There wasn't a lot of personality within his play and it didn't look like he was willing to go in or commit 100% in the way that APA has so far. So, I mean, I like, look, it's one thing to, like, put the plaster on, kiss the boo-boo. It's all right. It'll be better, honey. It's not like Team Liquid's going to win LCS, though. Like, no. This has been a mismanaged squad. It just doesn't look that good. It's also that this guy was subbed in midweek, and he has a very different champion pool, so it was going to be harder to prepare for him, whereas it's going to be much easier for teams to prepare for him in the coming week. Um, also, speaking of swap-outs, there was news last night that Spirax, or Spirax, I'm not sure how to say his name, the mid laner from FlyQuest uh, Academy, is going to be coming into the main roster for, like, for Vikla, which is not a surprise, given that Vikla's performance has been so incredibly poor. I guess they don't want to shove, like uh, sub out Spika as well, because those those two have been the primary, I would say, points of failure so far on FlyQuest. But 
and maybe it'll rejuvenate the team, at least in terms of their morale. But I think this was a necessary shift for FlyQuest. I am just shocked that Vikla could go from nearly making Worlds, nearly knocking out DRX, who eventually won Worlds during the qualification, winning LCK Rookie of the Year, and now be this terrible in North America while still playing the game a lot and maintaining his number one position in the challenger queue. I don't Obviously, know if I've ever seen anything like this. The main thing is I have an angle on this because I did a TikTok on this topic the other day because I think it's always a mad underrated aspect. There's another reason, in my opinion, why if you bring Koreans, you do bring two. And obviously they did in this case, but I think it sometimes doesn't help as well, right? Another thing about when you bring Koreans to the West is another reason they degrade isn't just solo queues worse. It's that when they see they have teammates that like just don't play the game, like you're sitting there grinding after your scrim blocks and then you look over and he's watching his new anime, he's talking to his girlfriend on Discord, he's playing some like fucking PvE game. Eventually, you're going to get dispirited. Eventually, you're going to go, why am I putting in mad hours when they're just practicing like whatever? So I have to say, this is a common trend. Like, sadly, a lot of Koreans either don't even arrive as good or they just degrade over time. They just go off like fucking milk left out in the sun. It's ridiculous. And this yeah. guy, it's really sad in this case because if they're doing well in scrims, there's no way he was playing like this. There's just no way. He's just inexplicably bad in LCS and he is bad. Like he just can never, he, he is never, very bad. After like whenever he went off in like the middle of spring, he never turned up again, mate. The, the, the nose dive just continued. It's just very weird because it's not like this guy hasn't had stage games. He's had high pressure matches in Korea in which he performed. Yeah, it is completely baffling why he would regress to this form when we 100% know that he's grinding it out in solo queue right now. And as you say, Thorin, we know that this the scrim results are very good. It is it is definitely one of the weirdest phenomenons I've ever seen, and there must be a huge mental angle to this because that's the only thing that actually makes sense. There's no reason for him to be performing this badly um, given the history of what's happened. And by the way, this is where fans are the shittest people in the whole ecosystem. Because the way they treat people the second that you're down, right? So even though Papa Smithy has never been anything but cool to fans, shows, like keeping them involved in like what's going on, giving his reasoning when other orgs don't, by the way, as to why he does stuff, right? So when he built 100 Thieves from a meme into a team that actually was going to Worlds and was winning championships and was in three... You'd think, right, we can't talk shit on Papa Smithy. Oh, no, now they've retconned it, Monty. I saw loads of this in Reddit threads. The retcon is because FlyQuest failed. He never actually did anything. His version of 100 Thieves is Rioma and those players like that. And then all he did was see that Golden Guardians had those three players. And all he did was just sign them and put them in his team. And then they just had the success. So basically, he I noticed they forget to mention Abedag in there. But apparently, he's just a total fraud. He's now been exposed. As usual, everyone who ever loses was always a fraud. By the way, the best example ever is Perks. I'm not joking. They don't say now he's bad, Monty. And he isn't even bad now. He's just a blow par. They say he was always a fraud. And this just exposed him. It's like, bro... You you got to listen when you reach your fifteenth birthday and they drop you'll and you talk a bit deeper you'll start to realize some things about life because it can't work that way you're cretin like what happens is you have a long career and over time you have ups and downs and later in your career you're not as good as earlier like Papa Smithy did an amazing job I mean why do you think he got the FlyQuest gig how do you think he got convinced them to sign these big name Koreans <laughs> and put in this team and get impact and put it all together and speak like. Listen, just because it didn't work, this in the offseason looked like fabulous roster construction. Also, also, 
Papa Smithy has been very public about saying when when the in success. So he's not blaming anybody now, but in the or, original success at the start of the split, he said that Nick Fan, who is the GM of FlyQuest, was the one who put this roster together, not him. And that the roster, the talks about the roster were already ongoing by the time he was hired. Okay, so he was trying to give the GM the the credit for creating this roster in the first place. Now, maybe that hasn't aged the best at the current time, but also who could have known that this roster that started so well, the skill vampires were going to double down on this entire roster. And he made a good move. Everybody saw that Ayla and Winsome were doing terribly within this team. And he went and got the, the premier North American support, which is Vulcan. Uh, because he can't have more imports into his roster. And that was the best available player, the best available move they could make. And nobody thought they would be doing this badly coming into this season with Vulcan. Most people had them winning the league, okay? Because they they fixed their main problem. So I don't know what you want. Sometimes teams don't work. Nobody thought this was a bad roster move. Nobody thought this team was going to be bad. Even them, because they had all of the scrim results, all the practice results that they were seeing coming into this season, which were overwhelmingly positive, like crazy positive. And yeah, scrims don't always translate into stage performance. Scrim bucks are worthless, but you can't think it's going to go bad when you're winning huge numbers of your scrims. So, you know, what else can you do? It's a bummer when these things don't work out. Even when they say it's worth, it's not like it's taught, it's worthless in the sense that it doesn't count for anything in LCS, but it does in, indicate something. Like, spoiler, the 10th best team has never actually just won 90% of scrims. That's never happened ever in any fucking league. Like, that's why the Vitality one is significant, because it shows that the players cannot be bad. If even at the end, when they were shitting LC, LEC, they were still beating G2 and Fnatic most of the time, that means they were cracked out. It means something went wrong with coaching on stage, drafting, performance, pressure, how people communicated. That, that that's where it has value. Obviously, in the game, yeah, you don't get a trophy for being the best fucking scrim team. We get that. <laughs> yeah. And, and to your point about Abadage, too, signing Abadage was the key piece of moving 100 Thieves into winning a title. You know, without Abadage, they don't really accomplish these goals. That was absolutely hugely important. Did it last very long? No, it didn't. Partially because they 100 Thieves demolished the roster after Papa Smithy left. But they did make three finals in a row. So I do think it's it's pretty ridiculous to to criticize him for what is clearly not a GMing problem. He literally so picked he up Reaper Bro, like one of the best coaches ever in L- LCS. Like, and he got, like you said, he got Vulcan to join a team that looked like maybe it didn't work. He convinced this guy to join the team. Like, I think he, in general, he's done a very good job. He's just had these few regular season games that have gone bad. Okay here's what happened. Like, this is actually what happened. If you look at when it happened at the time and you tell me if this is bad jamming, you signed a top three hyper carry AD carry within the LCK last year, who is by far the best player on live sandbox. You signed the rising star LCK rookie of the year who almost made worlds as a rookie. You sign literally the world championship winning coach who must have been doing something because he he squeezed every last out of, ounce of potential out of a DRX roster that had no business winning the world championship, all right? And then he makes moves. So Spica was also very important. Spica was one of the hottest free agents because of basically, you know, being the best player on a garbage TSM roster for a significant amount of the time. You get impact, literally the most reliable player and who plays weak side so you can strong side into these very powerful imports that you have. And then 
yeah, you have some visa problems with your support. Then it never comes together, unfortunately. And you have two kind of bad supports on your team. So you know what? You go and get Vulcan, one of the greatest North American supports, if not the greatest North American support, and to fix that problem. How is this bad GMing? Sometimes shit just doesn't work. Sometimes it doesn't work. And you it's can't like see what happens. This is the same thing happens to in-game leaders in Counter-Strike Monty. Right, because people think they did it all, they were the leader. It's like, at the end of the day, like, all I can do is put you in a good position with good teammates and then tell you what to do. If at the end of the day, you don't encounter, like, click heads or in League of Legends do the right moves, that's on the player. They're not actually fucking bots doing what the, like, GM or the coach or the leader says. Like, they have their own minds and their own fucking willpower. So the problem is, like, you can put it, like, it's the same thing with Fnatic last year. That's why I never got the angle that the Dardo guy was a moron. Yeah, he's had some bad lineups. Dude, that lineup he put together last year looked fire on paper. I thought they were going to win the LEC. The one where it's like he had Razork off an MVP split. Humanoids won championships and been a shot caller. He's got, he kept the bot lane of Hillisang and Upset, which used to be the best in the West. And then he brought in Wonder for sort of a bounce back. And that looked fucking sick. Like it doesn't matter that it never was actually that good. It sort of like underwhelmed a bit. He still did a great job GMing it. You can't know until they play if they're actually right. good or not. Yeah, and there's there's so many other outside factors, and there was really no criticism about any of the among experts about any of the moves FlyQuest was making, right? And they're even coming into this split because other teams were playing against them in practice. Everybody was really high on FlyQuest, including the other teams and players within the LCS guys. So, what do you want? What do you want in this situation? Shit sucks, you know. All the moves make sense logically. They, they spent the money. They did everything they could to create a good roster. It, the synergy is, just isn't there. It's the same shit that happened with Misfits back in the day when they tried to make that super team. It looked so good, guys. It looked so good. Why wouldn't you get Gorilla as an import player? That's an insane pickup for a European team. And yet, just never never worked out. Look at what hap what's happening with Vitality right now. It's not that the individual pieces of that roster are bad. Far from it. Indeed. Where we're going now. Where where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? <laughs> I mean, obviously, groups? yeah, for LEC, we should mention obviously the game of the week is the team Herex versus BDS one. Where actually the funny thing there is I actually think BDS is the better team. So the fact that I think BDS dogs, is the better team too. This is why I love I told you. And all I needed, it turned out, was a betting sponsor to make me actually love plebs and nephews and idiots that don't know what they're talking about. Because I love that you all just look at the standings and go, but heretics is higher up. They must be better than BDS. Like, oh, perfect. <laughs> Those would be your ones, my dude. And also, yeah. some of that, remember, think about heretics, was with like the busted static shiv and all that shit. Well, I mean, although Dom did say that they might be on the patch that goes back to that for this group stage. We don't know yet exactly what's happening. They I think like it's 13 back. 15. Yeah, but he said they might revert back to the one before that for some reason in LAC. He just said this on Best Damn League Show. You can go watch it yourself after this episode on this channel, Best Damn <laughs> League Show. He says it like fairly early on, I think. So basically, I actually don't ever think Erex was actually better. I think some of their players were, but I think they were well coached in B01s. But when you come to a BO3, I think BDS is the better team across the board. And I also think, by the way, BDS is an underrated team in terms of coaching. I do think that that striker guy who's like the strategic coach or whatever who was in Carmen Corp looks like he worked miracles all those years with different rosters, getting his players ports coming back. Dude, he even got reckless to win a fucking EU Masters when this guy was a bomb. I got his name in again. Quickly go Twitch chat, start right in, start in comments, put the comment. If you're really angry with me, show me, guys, really teach me a lesson and put a comment below in YouTube and really just go off on me. Don't hold back. Just fucking go ham. 
Instagram. And then if someone replies, he rebuts you. Just fucking reply to that guy. You're not just going to let him just talk about reckless that way. Tell you what. Oh, please, it hurts. Oh, don't, don't keep wrecking me with engagement. Oh, shit, what's that? The only thing in esports that makes money is engagement and eyeballs. Oh, shit. Please, no more, please. Give me a break. Give me a break. Like I always said, mate, here's the thing. Some people, you know, some people play the violin. Some people can conduct an orchestra. I just play Twitter. That's my accordion, as it works. It's annoying, obviously. Some annoying thing that you don't really... You wish, you wish the guy in the street... Just, it's like in my, my area, most like in the UK, there used to be a guy who would come, I won't say his background, but you could probably guess. He didn't actually know how to play a flute. He just had a flute. And he would play one shitty that like... He would just do that in the hopes that, you know, one person hears part of it and gives him like a penny or something. But if you stood nearby, like you'll wait for someone to come out of the shop. It's just him doing that for like the whole time. And you actually just want to just be like, oh, it's like this is testing my sanity right now. I feel like I'm in a fucking prisoner walk up or something in Vietnam. What is going on right now? Like, and it was just driving you crazy, mate. That was like some sort like challenge this, or something. It's, it's like the CIA torture where they just play the same song on yeah. loudspeaker at you exactly. for three days straight don't let you sleep um so when it when it comes to lec and it comes to bds i i think what's what people have kind of forgotten about this roster is sure they didn't have the greatest group stage but the fundamentals of why they made it to the finals are still there and their loss against heretics was with the substitute instead of adam in the top lane which makes a enormous difference in this matchup in particular where evie is very susceptible to getting killed or outplayed. Well, I'd more fuck him up and solo kill him. I guarantee you right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. So th then the question becomes: Well, how does Heretics win? Well, again, we've said this many times. VTO is a is a Yumi lover. Not that he plays Yumi, but a lot of his performances that got him MVP were Yumi in the game because it allows him to hyper carry in the late game. If we are on thirteen thirteen, the the pick rate of Yumi has dropped significantly. Um, Static Shiv isn't going to be that different as applied to 80 carries, which I, you know, probably will affect heretics less, but this is a team that certainly has overperformed, but when it comes to playoffs and it comes to the ability for BDS to place pressure onto the top side of the map, and that opens up a lot of room for crown shot to get fed and carry these games. I would rather have crown shot as my very fed hyper carry than Flacket. And Heretics is very creative, and I think that's where they have gotten their advantages. But in a best of five, I think it's going to be very hard for them to hide their flaws. And Heretics is another team that, because of their unique play style, just like Misfits before with VTO, they often win best of ones because it's harder to prepare for them. Misfits didn't do well in best of fives. Um, if you've ever seen the LCK or the LPL, so most of you can just tune out now and just pretend you have. The whole thing about BO3s that's great is even if the underdog gets the bullshit game one win with a unique draft or move, if you're really good like JDG or fucking Genji, you have two games left to just fucking take care of business and go, well, you had your game, now it's time for the real better team to take over. And it happens routinely. It's also that you have had two weeks to prepare for your opponent. Oh, it's wild in that sense. Like, you don't know how deep these guys can go in that regard. Like, you can look at every single fucking game, break down all the drafts. You can have a whole tree on your blackboard. Like, these are all the possible draft scenarios. And then I'll throw that in as well. It looks way more to me like it's heretics that needs to get certain champions on a certain players than it is the guys over on fucking um, BDS. Like, even if you do the meme and buy out Adam's two champions... 
brought against Sevy, he could play a Renekton. He could play a Scion or some shit like that. He's going to be fine. So it's not going to be a problem in that regard. Like I, I, t- I don't think he's a top top player, but he's certainly fine no. in this particular matchup. He's going to be the better player, even. It's also that he just enables BDS's style. You don't have to think that Adam is the best player because the only thing that the thing that matters most about Adam is that he can play top laners without teleport and he can provide immense pressure which forces either so it does one of two things it either allows him to get solo kills because he has combat summoners and he can actually just fully engage and he's playing carry champions whether it's an olaf or a darius or what have you but the thing he does is that if he's not doing that he's drawing jungle pressure topside which enables crown shot to farm it enables them to stack dragons and the key part of this is when you don't have tp it is so helpful to have a dragon lead because you can actually just force them to fight you at dragons for the rest of the game if you're already two or three dragon stacks up, right? Otherwise, the t- the lack of TP really hurts you. The question becomes, is Heretics the team where that is going to be a huge problem? Like, the weakness is there. If Evie can't deal with this issue, then... BDS just controls these games from start to finish. They're going to have to have a very interesting strategy, I think, to stop BDS. I just think this matchup is... It's not that I think BDS is the best team in the LEC, far from it. I just think this matchup is really bad for Heretics. Also, let's be real. It's not like Ebby ever actually plays safe. He also thinks he's really good and goes for kills and fucking 1v1 outplays. Like, there is going to be some blood in the top lane, guys. Like, I'm telling you right now, like, my joke is Adam always goes fucking pushed up. Like, here's why he ready for a fucking classic, like, pantomime-level joke. Why does Adam never go even? Because he's Adam, obviously. Now, here's the thing. Obviously, <laughs> in this scenario, if you actually wanted him to go even, you'd have to take one of his ribs out. Throwing my rib cage into full view. Shout out to Gabby Dirt in there. Look up the look up the video. Look up that music video. Oh, rib cage parentheses awakening by Gabby Dirt. There look you it go. Up. There it's a real go. music video on, on YouTube. The meta the meta of casters making music Shout videos. Out. Link that in the pod. Link that to give her all the give her all the traffic. It's all good. I mean, Drake Dracos too. The, the meta of the 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 musical artist crossover is becoming very interesting uh, within the casting crew. Although uh, I will say, a lot of these guys have never bothered to really do anything outside of cast the game, create their own content, what have you. Stream a lot of the time, so credit to them. I I give them credit yeah. that they are anyone who tries some of the multimedia. To, to, to yeah, I like it. I like it. Uh, otherwise, like, do we think anybody but G two or Fnatic really has a shot at taking the title here? Fnatic's I mean, rise has been really inspiring. To me, the exciting thing is, is that Fnatic looks really good. Like, yeah. I, if it was right now, today, we had to admit, I would vote nor the MVP of the league. Why wouldn't I? Oh, He's a rookie. Yep. He's a stud. Yeah. Absolutely. Who, who, we... You could be a KDA player and get zero deaths, but also carry the gate. Oh, Fnatic fans would be like, what the fuck? This is not normal. Someone check his keyboard. Like, fucking hell. <laughs> fucking hell. I, that is the, it is the best possible outcome. It is the best possible outcome, especially that a Korean player who isn't famous just waltzes in and does this. First off, just shows how insanely deep the Korean ta- cha- like you know talent pool is. Yes. But also, think about this, guys. You have this guy who had like 90 KDA at parts of the group stage after playing you know four, five, six games. He comes in to replace Reckless and then is also topping the league in terms of DPM. Yes. Um really impressive stuff from noah and it's it a great name as well by the way we've got adam we've got noah 
All you need to know now is who's Judas? Who's the one who betrays me? Oh, reckless, my bad. Yeah, sorry. That, that, the joke was obvious there. It's obvious there. Judas Iscariot. Shout out Judas Iscariot one time. 12 shekels, right. 12 pieces of silver or whatever it was. Well, you know, if you, if you, if you do believe in Gnosticism, and you've have seen, you know, you've read the Gospels, the Gospel of Judas oh, and the other Gnostic, Gnostic, Gnostic yeah. Gospels. He actually was the most important and most loyal. To, yeah, it was exactly. the most loyal of the apostles. Because remember, the only way to absolve sin was for Jesus to, to, to die on the cross. Therefore, somebody had to sell him out. And in the Gospel of Judas, Jesus comes to Judas and says, I need you to sell me out to do this. And, he, and even Thank though you, you are going to look like complete shit, as a result of doing this, you are my most loyal follower. So please do this. And he does. Basically, if if Reckless hadn't sold Hillisang out, Hillisang wouldn't have been freed and gone to go to Mad Lions, go to two finals, win, go to MSI, you know. So you decide whether that was obviously if you really watched MSI, you might be Gnostic yourself and think that these gods and demiurges are evil because what Mad Lions did there was a travesty and should have they should actually be tried in the uh, in the Hague, in the Court of Human <laughs> Rights. So <laughs> Because some of those games were criminal. They were war crimes. Yeah, I guess I guess Noah doesn't have the highest DPM anymore. He's only at 719 compared to Karzi's 910, which is very impressive, actually, for Karzi. I mean, Madlines wins games, yeah, it has to be Karzi. Surely that's his style, right? <laughs> sure, sure. Um, and also, he learned how to play Aphilios, so that's fun. Uh, but yeah, Noah, Noah hasn't been bottom, has not been the bottom of the, the um, and at one point was way up there. Let's, I'm actually going to check the uh, spring season. I mean, the, the problem is that these are all very small sample sizes for the most part. By the way, if you're watching uh, the VOD now, I just right now released on my personal channel a video where you know that gamer doc, Lindsay Miglior, who works for EG, oh who was boy. involved in all the shenanigans. All you need to know is this. It's two hours long. You go, bon voyage, <laughs> enjoy that. That's still too easy your time. Put it through. It's better than like fucking like, it's better than Indiana Jones, I'm guessing. So watch this. <laughs> the, the actual real, the real, real. What, what inspired, uh, you know, the, the okay. take, the, the takedown videos? Cause I, I mean, the, the one about Frankie was great recently. You've been oh, on a thing. What happened was nobody, by the way, in CSGO, I didn't even know this person existed, Monty. They're just because they're the director of performance, like whoever hears about that role. What happened was in CSGO, EG had already mismanaged their team. Right. And crucially, Kassad was interviewed. It was like Riot with D-Man, mate. They were just abusive. Right, I remember. They interviewed him for like months at a time and he had to keep coming back. And they kept telling him, by the way, privately, like, don't worry, it's going really great. Like you're, like you're one of the main candidates. We're really thinking it's going to come together. Like, just wait for it. Just wait for it. And then eventually at the end, they were just like, yeah, pass. And so what happened was, Kassad, unsurprisingly, when they were then absolutely one of the worst teams ever to play CS from a major yep. org, still are, by the way, they're on something mad, like a nine best of three losing streak recently. They were terrible. Kassad basically then would make some, like, he would make some snide comments on Twitter and sort of be like, you know, great job by evil geniuses when they would lose. So this person, instead of being like, well, my job's director of performance, I could never talk shit about them losing. No, no, she decided to pop off. And she just came at Kassad and started saying mad shit. Like, you'll see this in the video. Her opening gambit, Monty, was to say, like, you know, it's sad to see that your enthusiasm has waned for our project. But I guess people say anything in interviews. 
So she just straight up unethically leaked that in interviews, he was actually confident if he got the job that they'd be a really good project. <laughs> what a piece of shit. And then when I dared to comment, Monty, she said like something mad, like why are you, everyone at EG just thinks this. And it was like a gift for someone like, why are you so obsessed with me? So then I did a quick search. Cause remember Monty, I, I'm supposed to be the boomer, but I'm the only one who knows Twitter advanced search <laughs> exists and uses it. So I did a little search Monty and you're not going to believe oh, this. Boy. I never knew this person existed. This last year in 2022, because remember 2021 was when I had all that thing where I was like, I am esports. For something like five months, every time she was ever doing anything, no joke, literally it would say stuff like, I just like, you know, fucking put like a plug into the socket. I am esports. She would just do I am esports over and over and over and over. So obviously she knew that <laughs> I triggered her. And then she had the gall when Kassad said something else to imply that Cosme and Kassad have now commented. She goes, it's not the first time to Kassad that I've had a middle-aged white man obsessed with me. And so all I thought was, you know what? There we go. Get out the pen. She put you on the list. Okay. We will process you in due time. It's like the DMV. Take a number. We'll process you in due time. Sorry, I've got to get to Frankie first. I've got a couple of players on the list. But you know what? I always make time for Wayne Grow. I don't You know what? I could get away. I'm off to New Zealand with that woman out of fucking season three of Goliath Straight Fire reference. But I'm just, instead, I'll be like, you know what, honey? It's all right. We've got time for the private flight. Let's make time for Wayne Grow. Let's go take care of Wayne Grow. You know and what? Also, you know what I you found and it's mad. This is essentially the real reason you got to watch the video because loads of the tweets aren't about like Danny. But if you know the context of what happened, Monty, they're mental. Her other thing on Twitter, there's two angles that are going to blow your mind. One, she routinely every six months complains that the esports industry is full of people who've only been hired for experience and who are frauds and are bad at their jobs and even calls them chronic underperformers. By the way, this is almost Frankie levels of lack of self-awareness. And then the other angle, this is even more mad, is even though she's part of the fucked up thing with Danny and forcing him to play and then treating these players in CSGO and League of Legends like shit. I've got a great story from a League of Legends Academy player. Even though she did all that, all her tweets are that poser shit from like sixth form slash college where people are like, be the change you want in the world. Be nicer to people. Just why, do, why is this country divided politically? Because people can't express their opinions without being offensive or being offended. Learn to give criticism and take criticism. And then she can't do any of it, mate. She can't ever walk the walk. It's so wild. So it's a banger. There's a reason it's two hours long, boys. I wouldn't waste your time. This is one where like, I, I have to understand when I come for the vampires, I have to make sure steak through the heart, salt around the body, crush the skull, silver all around, and then I enclose them in a fucking tomb a million death miles below the earth with fucking onion and garlic all around it and I make sure they're never coming back after that looks like thank you tell you what she's got way better on Twitter now there you go love well done glad I could motivate you I'm the performance director here homie you might be the senior di director of performance of EG I'm the senior director of performance of esports motherfucker you know what I because I am it so you know what I don't understand about these people Thorin is if they just shut the fuck up on social media None of this happens. Oh, no, she also does no the Frankie thing where she keeps telling on herself. She keeps adding extra details for me to, like, give me, like, more fuel for it. It's mad. That's the other thing. If they tweeted a tenth as much, I wouldn't even have the material. Where's my ammo? You know what I mean? Exactly. He said that years what? ago. He said the reason he doesn't have Twitter is because half the time you're just giving ammunition to your enemies to hit on you. And he's right. You are. <laughs> he is right. You're 100%. Them ammo for their gun. <laughs> But it, it is it is absolutely wild to me that these people, such as Nicola Point, Jameson, and, and GamerDoc, feel like they have to be upfront personalities, right? No, that's that's why you know what's so baffling is like 
you know, Nicole is like putting herself in these music videos for worlds. Nobody knows or cares who she is. You could have hired any number of people from EG's history. Go fucking dig up Idra and put him in as the as the mascot of EG. Use your actual money that you have for your content creator collective instead of just paying off Danny for the things that you did to him. Use First off, treat him well. Second off, use that money to hire people who can be the face of your brand. What is this obsession with these people at EG who do not have forward-facing jobs to be these faces and to be the warriors in terms of their content and on social media? It makes no sense. You just open yourself up to criticism. Well, the real joke is what tells you they're frauds in esports. This is how Frankie got herself in trouble. She clearly didn't know who I was in CSGO and she didn't know what CSGO was like. So she came in like this, like a bull in a china shop and just thought, I'll just fucking run around saying crazy outlandish conclusions and mega bold statements. And what happens then is the person it turns out you're fucking with, you're like, you're just some journalist. And it's like, wait a minute, what's the name there? So it's like Ricky... Robert Lewis or something? Who the fuck's he? And it just turns out you've just fucked off like the guy who's actually going to like fucking bury you metaphorically. And then as a result, yeah, how does it end up? Does anyone ever after years of this shit just go like, I wish I sort of hadn't done that now. I wish I sort of fucking played it cool. I wish I'd used the freeze pipe and just cooled my shit down and just had an enjoyable, you know, cool experience using the freezepipe.com 10 off LFN. Maybe, maybe I should just focus on not being garbage at my main job instead of, uh, you know, just tweeting all the time pointlessly for no upside. There's no upside to doing what they did. There was zero upside for peacocking on Twitter from GamerDoc about the, uh, because part of the downfall was that she was saying that they were successful and then they completely took a nosedive in CSGO or for being in the music videos from Nicola Point Jameson. What was the upside to that? Tell me what the best case scenario of doing that was. What's the best case? Self-aggrandizement. Exactly. Exactly. Unnecessary. Also, if you want to know, it's not just like me wrecking her. There's also facts that you might like to know. Like under her watch, I looked when she took over as director of performance. On her watch with enormous salaries, people getting paid 20 to 30K, she managed a performance of they have won five land best of threes and they lost 23. In those partner competitions, they come last and second last all the time. All the time. That's outrageous. If you don't know how bad that is, like, just go, just go look it up. It's, it's almost impossible. It's almost impossible. But anyway, there's a lot in there. There's a lot of, you know. The, the EGA will never end until nah. the, they're, they are held accountable for their crimes. I mean, it's like everything. People don't get it. I just use siege mentality. It's like, right, we're going to war, right? Get the fucking towers. Listen, we've got all our supplies. We can, I can wait for <laughs> years, mate. Time. I'll wait until eventually. Spoiler, I'll just give this little teaser because it's illegal edges, so, so no one will know in CSGO. All you need to know is, you know how the goat of CSGO flamed me, Monty? Yep. Oh, don't worry. Even he's broken now. I win them all, mate. I win them all. They all come to me privately. They all do that back channel, the little reach out. And it's like, oh, oh okay. Because I've always said, I've always, listen, I'm quite magnanimous, Monty. I will allow anyone to surrender unconditionally on my terms. That's always on the table. I'm not I'm generous I'm not, of you. I'm not like Genghis Khan. I don't have to kill you and you know, smite your children to the no, church. Actually, Genghis Khan, that's a bad reference. Genghis Khan did allow people to surrender to him unconditionally. No. Because famously, one tactic he would use is he'd send people ahead who'd say, just surrender, and then he'd kill your whole village anyway. <laughs> That's a real story. You can look it up. 
Because his whole shit, by the way, was like fear and intimidation. Like supposedly he's so fucked up. There's a story that a guy came to him and like some like other tribe leader or something and got all the way up to him and tried to kill him. And because he tried to kill him, he was like, you will become one of my best generals. And it's like, is this like Conan or something? What are you talking about? Like, what is the rule of the jungle or something here? Like, this is mental, boys. This is mad. Uh, so any other factors about LEC playoffs? I mean, we're just kind of waiting for it to happen right now. LPL is, look, LPL is just kind of riding out its last week. These are all going to be junk games in LPL because for the most part, the playoff race is effectively set. Like it would take a miracle to knock JDG out of the top two spots. People read way too much into their loss uh, that we saw last week. I mean, it's just LPL randomness. I think they're going to get together perfectly fine by the time they reach the playoffs. It only matters if they reach top two for the purposes of advancing as far as you can into the playoff bracket automatically when it comes to seeding. Uh, the real interesting thing is going to be, you know, what happens with the playoffs? Because, like I said, LNG and Top are also kind of virtually locked into their spots as well. Um, so, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of garbage in LPL this week, unfortunately. To me, the only angle in LEC other than that is actually this, and it goes in Group A, the one with G2, Koi, Team Heretics, BDS, is just who's third. If I assume G2 and BDS win, is Koi or Heretics the, the fourth team there? Because the thing is, I actually don't know. Like, Team Rex and BO1s look good, but I actually think, like, Koi, they're not good, but Larson's very good. Sometimes he can get the odd game out of, Sh like, Shy. Uh, it's because I keep calling him the Shy Gender, so it's fucked up how it says them. Shigenda. I think Peach is absolute fucking nothing over on um, XL. Malrang's almost as bad, like... I don't know. That's a hard one. That's a Sophie's choice, man. I don't know. I want it to be Herex, sort of, because I do want, like, Peter Dunn to be justified. And then also, my hope is this. He's just piecemeal building it. He said he had a two-year yeah. vision, Monty. If next year he gets a good top player, We saw in, this with EG. All of a sudden, you've got a real team, haven't you? We saw this with EG. He's very good at, at iteratively building rosters. It is clear that this team is, like, one good top laner, one Odo Omne. Oh, no, they would be fire on this roster. As long as Jankos doesn't get scooped away, he can do it. That's the real yeah. hope. You've got to hope he doesn't get bought in offseason. But aside from yeah. that, the rest of the pieces are there, mate. Yeah, it's a, it is a good team. Um, they just have you know one serious flaw that prevents them from being as flexible as they otherwise could be. And if you want a weak side top and you can get Odo Amne away from Excel, I think this roster could be really promising. But I'm not seeing them doing a whole lot immediately. And I also think that Peter Dunn already has been redeemed. Like, look at the difference between this roster, this split, compared to other splits. The growth no, is clearly in there. In the first split, the one where it was already Yankos, essentially. Like, they even got out. They're not coming last place in those ones either. Like, XL Super Team's coming last. They're still making groups every time. That's actually legit. Like, he always overperforms with his squads, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's crazy the amount of success Peter Dunn has had and the ability for him to read the strengths of players and then create both rosters and strategies used by those rosters in order to maximize the value of the players that he had. We saw it with EG. Um, and if you know what you're looking for and you know the kind of way that he slowly introduces these tactics so that the players understand them, he's just really good at developing and broadening a roster skill set over time. He doesn't try and overload them with every strategy in the book. He wants to do one thing really well and then introduce new layers to that over time so that they expand the toolbox that these players have within a game. He's very deliberate. He's very deliberate, and it's great to see. Also, great really, talk show guest. Oh, yeah. and by the way, 
since we're talking about it, I'll just reference that. If people don't know, the original reason all the way back that I did anything with EG is because they blacklisted me from having people like Peter Dunn on my shows. Yep. How did that age? That was a good move, was it? How do you like that investment you made? You paid dividends, but not the ones you wanted, eh? Not the ones it's you just, wanted. It's, it's just the people who do not understand the space at all, Thorin. And they think that they can just get away with it with no consequences. It's also just not a good tactic if you care about advertising or or your players or your coaches or your brand. I mean, to put this in perspective, guys, Last Free Nation in the past year has done over 10 million podcast downloads. So you decide whether that's good publicity for your orgs and your teams or not. We've been doing really well in terms of viewership. Um, been doing very well. So, you know, ignore or blacklist at your own peril. Also, I'll just tell you a little story. Uh, shall I actually tell you the secret? Because one of our load in esports money is because the majority of secrets involve like single pointed focus, really hard work, mastering your craft. You can tell people them, they don't do them, so you don't really lose any competitive advantage. Right? Here's the actual secret to how you get someone in journalism. It's like a movie. You know, in the movie, they have to have a relatable reason as to why the person is going to the ends of the earth. Like, why does the cop, even when he's told to turn his badge and his gun in because he's got too close to the case, why does he still hunt down the villain, even though now he's just a sure. citizen and could go to prison for life? Why does the journalist who's being like, you know, threatened with car bombings and then his dog gets killed and his family are threatened, why does he keep doing it just for the sake of doing the truth, right? They know a normal person can't relate. Well, I wouldn't just do it for the truth. They have to do it like, you know, it was his partner that was killed in a shootout if you're the cop it was like you know people threatened like his fucking people in his country if it's a journalist as you see as an esports journalist you don't have that level of scale right it's actually one of the good things about the industry so here's what you do for real now because i have an amazing memory i can just do this automatically what you do is this you remember the thing they did to you and you don't let it go which would be the healthy thing if you were a human as a journalist, you do the opposite. You intentionally take that and you keep it close to you. It's like, Vin it's like Vincent Hanna, the Al Pacino character, says in Heat. It's like that keeps me on the edge where I've got to be. So what you do is every time you see that person's name or the org they're associated with, you run it through in your mind again. They said this, they did this, they're liars, they've done this. And what it does is that fuel recreates. It's why trauma exists. The problem with trauma, essentially, is the human mind doesn't just remember. It like goes back to that point. It remembers actually what it was like to be hurt in an accident, to be like oppressed by someone, to be to feel like you were powerless or you're dying. And recreating in your mind those feelings, this is why it isn't just a movie. You have that feeling it's a real thing. You feel scared. You feel your heart beat. It's real. So you do that to yourself, essentially. And you keep reminding yourself, just like the Punisher would, that his family was killed or something. And that is the fuel every day to get up and go and look through 500 tweets. To go and search every article and read shit puff pieces about some people until you get the quote that you need. And you get that quote, and that's all you take out. This is where the rookie journalists, like idiot you-know-who, fuck it up and they put too much stuff in the article. No, no. You take out all the fat no one cares about. That's for you. That's like the iceberg principle. You you're just looking for the meat. You're looking for the really good line. And you might have to search. This is why I always tell Richard, mate, you'll always be the guy doing this. Because I, I don't want to do this for stories that aren't really motivating. Do you know how shit it is to go away and actually not even have a website you can do this on? Have to, like, contact people's, co like, schools and be like, what's this person, an alumni here? Yeah, then contact yeah, yeah. people on the honor roll. Like, did you actually go to school? That's the amount of work you can do there, guys. Sometimes you never get anything. Sometimes it's a dead end. You do, like, 10 hours. And you realize, mate, what's the opportunity? 
opportunity cost here. I've just lost 10 hours worth of earning potential to try and nail this scumbag. So I only do it in a few cases, but I am on some fucking like, I'm like the Lone Ranger, mate. I always get my man. When I'm going for them at the end, I, I hunt them till the end. I always get my man. I always get my man. <laughs> All right. Any other lull topics you want to talk about or do you want to do some questions? Let's do some questions. All right. Let's take a quick break, guys, and we'll back. We'll do viewer questions. Right. We're back for viewer questions. Obviously, as usual, we don't mean Twitch viewers, although we do appreciate the primes. Any primers in chat? Whatever, I don't know. Is that a thing streamers say? I think I heard it once from Velez or something. Right. Obviously, if you want to ask questions, you have to subscribe to our Discord, the last Free Nation one. And then there is a channel for questions specifically for the show. Yep. And it's one of the best ways to support us as well because we get 90% of the revenue. Discord is actually cool like that. So if you guys are thinking about subscribing to us on Twitch uh, with real money, not your Twitch Prime money, don't do that. Subscribe on Discord instead. You get more benefits and it's better for us. Thank you. Uh, shout out to Twitch for continuing to destroy their own monetization models. Uh, what are some roster changes that you heavily criticized slash questioned, but turned out to be a slam dunk success? Interesting. I mean, it's probably quite a few because you can never know how things are going to turn out. Yeah, what would be a really big one? I'm trying to think like the biggest though. There's got to be some crazy ones that I didn't see coming. Oh, I know an obvious one. I mean, it's tied into that story where it's actually one of the reasons I turned down the job of being their coach. When they told me in Fnatic, like, we're just bringing Yellow Star back and then we're going to get, like, this, like, there's this Korean top laner that's in, like, Samsung Red, the C team. And he's going to, I was like, you know what? No, thanks. I was here to coach Soaz and fucking expect anybody. It's not the, so I was like, nah. And I even did a video where I was like, Fnatic lost the off season. And only won the first split. They then obviously had that five-game series with SKT at MSI, which at the time was blown everyone's minds. Then they had a perfect 18-0 split in summer <laughs> and went semis of Worlds. So you know what? I think I'll take that one the chin. I reckon they, they got me on that one, didn't they? They wrecked me. I, mean, I, I, I won't talk right about Hooney, but just not at the time. Not at the time. Uh, I mean, probably anything to do with Smeb, right? Because Smeb was legit the worst top laner yeah, in LCK. I like, hated on the move as much, though. Which I, I'm trying to think of like, big, big name moves. Like There must have been some like... Is there any like TSM signings you thought would just be dead in the water, but actually were good or won or whatever? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think for the most part, TSM had like unknown players. It wasn't that they were they were signing a big player that I thought would be bad and then turned out to be good, right? Well, I the joke is this, Monty. If we're trying to think of good ones, like who's actually been way better than you expect as a player? Hmm. I'm trying to think who actually that would even fit the bill of. What about, I, I what mean, about would, an LEC? There's got to be someone. Who would be way better? I mean, I mean, you could argue like the the perks to ADC move, but that was that was a role swap, not a. I mean, no one knew that a, necessarily work. You don't. You wouldn't think they'd win MSI when you first split when you roll swap right. to AD, would you? That's pretty wild yeah. in itself. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that's that's not. A, I guess it. It's. Would you count that as a roster change? It changes part of your well, roster. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> sort of. Does that count? Um. I think what's a good one? It's got to be some good LCK one, surely. Because who's actually been way better than you'd think in LCK? Like I said, Smeb is the obvious one. He literally went from worst at his position to best in his position. Um, I 
Whatever. Then. I mean, Score next. yeah, it's, it's it's actually it's actually hard because I think a lot of the players were just unknowns. I would say there's there's been way more times that we've been right about or we've been wrong about hyping up rosters and teams that turned out to be complete shit, especially hilariously this year with Vitality and Excel turning out to be so bad and also FlyQuest. This has definitely been the year of on paper good teams underperforming. Well, I'll give you one. I definitely did not think this Mad Lions team would do the shit they've done in LEC this split. Like Sure. You're putting together Kazi and Inting Hillersang together with like fucking the chase again, not even fair. new. Like, there's no way that I, if you'd have told me, yeah. I'd told you, I'll bet heavily they don't make one final. Yeah, year, win really good. That one's way better than they expect. Way better. Uh, why do you think the wh- okay, hold up. Uh, why do you think the Gulf states not become end up becoming a, esports regions like the Nordic states? Both regions have shit weather, so people are inside more often. Geographically close to each other, Bahrain and Doha all have the fastest internet in the world, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Do you see this changing anytime soon as the oil money is flowing in? Well, they're trying really hard. I, I mean, Saudi obviously is putting a lot of money into this. They're hosting their own tournaments with massive prize pools like Gamers 8, which is something you guys have probably never heard of but they continue to try I and mean, the CS qualifiers for that are going on right now. They are. And especially with neon, like the idea of building neon was to also integrate, uh, to have a tech sector in the middle East that would also probably host a lot of esports events. That's why they went out and wanted to do sponsor blast and LEC was to convince people to come there. Most likely for esports events. We've seen uh, middle Eastern, esports team startup and in fact we've seen lec has like stealth rebranded to league of legends emea championship not just european championship that's virtue signaling and a half as well they go which teams from africa or middle east or whatever in it you fucking idiot go show me oh but they're they're prepping they're prepping for it thorin they're prepping for it i think it's only a matter of time until we see an lec uh final in the middle east i think that might be coming next year uh, so way, when it does, I'll just give everyone a quick warning. You know what I've been doing to all the talent who came out and talked out against Carlos, but then say nothing when they're embroiled in some shit. Spoiler, all you LEC talent, you're on the list too. The second they do the event in the Middle East, I'm coming for all of you. Even the ones I like, I'm coming for you. Because I'm <laughs> going to teach people a lesson, which is if you do this, you know how you want people to get cancelled and have consequences? You're going to get the consequences. I'm going to show you what it's like. So... The second that happens, it's going to... By the way, spoiler, I won't say names now, but some of them already worked with the ESL Monty after they did that thing of like, I, I put my job on the line for LEC. Then they turn around and work for ESL, who was owned by Saudi Arabia. <laughs> well, which is it, mate? Which is it? You know what I mean? So yeah, they, they, almost certainly they will, Monty. I mean, I know they dodged that bullet recently when they turned down Astralis, getting bought by Falcons, who's like Saudi-related or whatever. It's, not like, it's that guy from FIFA, like, I can't remember his name, Mosseri or something. I can't remember what his name is. The famous name people know I'm on about. Basically, they did that, and people think, well, of course, there's so many Reddit comments I've got saved for a Thorin versus Reddit, where they're like, well, of course, they wouldn't let the Saudis buy new esports. I've told you a million times, Richard Lewis got the information that they were totally fine with that deal. They just understood because yeah. the cast has made a shitstorm. It's like, for PR, we may as well say no for now, basically. But they sort of implied, like, you can do it later, basically. So it'll come eventually. It's almost certain. Also, on this question, the weird thing about the setup of the question is, he makes it sound like the Saudis have been doing this since 1999. Like, they only started right. a few years ago. Like, yeah, stuff they'll like, be the there. Fuck- the shit with Dubai, like, have you ever seen a picture like 20 years ago? There was nothing there. Like, it's a desert. Yeah. Like, they built all that shit recently. So, in, in theory, like Monty says, because they're going to make it a hub, as long as enough people there want to play, 
then they will get good players and they will have a seat and they'll import players. If there's another thing, just like Ronaldo players in the Saudi league, if people don't know, for hundreds of millions and they get a bunch of other European football players, they'll do that as well. Like, here's the thing. You know how at the moment, sorry to break your heart, Celsius fans, you know how I've heard people like reckless humanoids, yeah, because they joke, like, I'll go to LCS for the paycheck. No, in the future, mate, you'll go to Dubai and you'll play for 10x your salary. You'll play for like yes. $10 million a year. That's what you'll do at the end of your career. It'll be like the MLS is in soccer, basically. There have been massive, they have, there have been increasingly large tournaments in the Middle East. Uh, ESL has been holding events in Dubai. Masters uh, you know, um, we, like I said, Gamers 8 is a massive new uh, endeavor by the Saudi government with millions of dollars in prize pool across a variety of titles. Even just domestic events for the Middle East have been picking up. Like You guys don't pay attention to these events, but they really are trying to encourage players to play. It's one of the, and by the way, it's one of the only places in the world where they are encouraging young people to play esports. You might think that happens in Korea. It doesn't. Korean parents don't like it. You know, the Korean not. government doesn't necessarily like it that kids are playing esports. Okay, it's just part of the culture. The the e in the Middle East, they want people. The government is paying for these massive prize pools. So with that kind of incentive, guys, give it a few years. We're going to start to see some good players coming out of those regions, and we're going to start to see more tournaments held there. They want it to happen. It will happen. Uh, what's your favorite action adventure franchise examples like Terminator, Robocop, Indiana Jones, Bond, Mad Max, excluding the really horrible recent entries in some of these series? I mean, if you can just target it, like the first two Terminator movies are really good, obviously. Oh, they're great. Yeah, those I are mean, bangers. The, the first three Indiana Jones movies are good. Sure. Right? I love that genre. I love the Lost World, supernatural artifacts with a basis in history. I think Indiana Jones fucking rules. Mate, even uh, those like Nick Cage Nick, national treasures are good if you can only yeah, some cheese yeah, Nick they're Cage. Fun. Yeah, they're just a fun angle out there. Go it's actually look on the back of the document. Uh, <laughs> Bill of Independence, so I gave you a fucking break. But it is funny though. And like that's great. Anyway, those are the movies I watch when I get the freeze pipe out. It's like, let's put some Nicholas Cage, one of my go-to when I'm high people to watch movies <laughs> of. It's, it's over it is fantastic when you've got THC yeah, awesome. in the old system, mate. Of course. I mean, I a lot of these old franchises are just really good because they they were simple you know there was one plot line uh they developed care you know they focused on the one plot line that made sense it doesn't make sense in the in like being realistic but made sense in the context of the world that it was in and they focused on just kind of developing characters and having snappy dialogues um it's, it's just amazing how many stupid plot lines they try and jam into one movie these days when you could just literally just cut out half of the plot and it would be a better film and at least easier to follow i've never watched any of the creed movies i don't know how they are but i was a fan of the original rocky series i thought some sure, of those yeah. movies were bangers mate like at least two or three yep. of those are really good movies in fact not yep. least because as you've seen with other boxing movies it's quite hard to make a boxing movie actually compelling and interesting so i always thought like they those movies it's even from the score on down like they're just incredible at like stirring the emotions like they're fucking epic the original Rocky, by the way, forget all the sequels even. The original Rocky, just standalone, is a really good movie. It's just a fucking yeah. film classic. Also, just a very simple plot and relatable characters.
Uh, what is the worst PR oh, mistake? I'll give you a little bonus, though. Go on YouTube and look up Anthony Robbins, the motivation guy, telling the story of how Sylvester Stallone got Rocky made. It's heartbreaking. Oh, yeah, it's, it's an amazing. It's genuinely one of the most. I, I can't believe they haven't done like a biopic about Sylvester Stallone. As this story, it's amazing. It's you'll make you have so much respect for Sylvester Stallone. He he just he did it all himself, grinded it out. Everybody rejected him, wouldn't take no for an answer, and effectively was absolutely uncompromising in his yeah, vision. Yeah, just sell of, his dog. Yeah, yeah. That's part of the story. Just go look it up. I don't want to ruin the whole thing. Just that go look wild. up. It's fucking mega. It's mega. Uh, what is the worst PR mistake in esports? Take this from any angle. It can be a player, coach, org. I mean, the joke is the obvious one would be Carlos in light of what the actual consequences yes. were that cost like millions yeah. of dollars. He's not in esports anymore. <laughs> you could go with some more funny ones. Or EG is pretty good. They've done a bunch of good ones. Spoiler, that's why I've done my video today. I think all that shit about Danny, that's aged terribly. What are some other good ones over the... Oh, TSM, obviously, where they tried to clap back at us. Then it turned out they outed themselves as doing like <laughs> fucking... The, the conflict of interest with double lift. They're like, ah, oh, no, I want star The problem with esports is this industry is so stupid that there's just too many to pick from. It's for constant. So that's why the Four Horsemen exist, guys. It feels like every week there's a PR mistake. Feels like every week. Well, you know, what the fuck is going on right now with scout in edg by, by the way guys uh i think the korean team that wanted him was kt i do know they Ooh. were very here's 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 the spoiler for you guys if my, my sources in korea told me last off season there are two i, I mean, let me put this timeline together in my head two off seasons ago that kt was very heavily pursuing scout and when they didn't get Scout, that caused them to put together a, a cheaper roster, but they were very much intending to spend going into 2022. So I think part of that scandal... Now, I don't know if Scout signed the deal with KT, but I do know that KT put a deal in front of him. Um, so there's an alternate timeline where Scout would have been on KT in 2022. Imagine so how banger that lineup would be. Because if people don't know, he'd probably be the MVP again, mate. He smurfed again in LPL. It's ridiculous. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's he, he's amazing right now. He's very fun to watch. One of my favorite players to watch at the moment. Um, most traditional sports have mild snowballing, and the, the team that's behind has to take more risks and use more stamina to catch up. Meanwhile, many esports snowball hard. Do you like snowball mechanics in general or in specific contexts? I don't even understand the premise. What sport has snowball mechanics, even mild ones? <laughs> Um, yeah, I think he like means rubber. It's the same. It, yeah, but there isn't any in sports. Like a basket is the same at the end of the game to make as it is at the beginning of the game. You know what well, I mean? Well, I think, I think the premise that he's saying is like, once you're ahead, you can kind of dawdle on the court or, you know, if you're, oh, okay, uh, if right. you're at NFL, if you're in the NFL. Himself, yeah. So basically, here's the thing. Um, it's hard to make this comparison because traditional sports have finite game time. Except for baseball. Baseball's weird. But most other traditional sports have finite game time uh, where you can kind of, if you're in American football, if you have a lead, you can run the ball to eat time off the clock or do many other things to just you know, kind of grind down your opponent. That will actually crush your soul if, like you, if you, like me, are the Brady 
critic is you know someone calculated that there's a time in the third quarter where if the Falcons just like kneeled on every fucking down, yes, they essentially they would have won. But they had to actually like throw and like get picks against them and fuck up the downs. Like yep. they actually had to like as you know with fucking Shanahan, they so, had to fuck it up. I was so mad yeah, at that. Mathematically, could have won the game. Basically, the spoiler is if it was Belichick on the other side, he would have won the game off that. He did just beat a cut completely. I, I was so pissed. Thorn about that Super Bowl. So that happened while I was in Korea. And I'm a I'm a famous Patriots hater, obviously, as a Broncos fan. And so I was I was in a bar in Korea at like 10 a.m. because that's when the Super Bowl takes place. And I was just I was quite drunk by halftime. And I was like, woo, 28 to 3. Fuck you, Patriots. And then they came back and it really sucked. <laughs> oh mate, I was there with you for the 2014 Seahawks on. Do you remember? We were watching it because yeah, they were yeah. just getting bodied like three quarters of the way through. We're like, lol, who gives a shit? <laughs> correct. And then it just got less and less and less funny. And at the end, it was like they, they did the fucking Malcolm Butler. It was like, oh, yeah, turn, turn it off. Let's just 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 the inter- just Russell just throws the interception at the end. Fuck, man. I know. Fuck. <laughs> then it's okay because it worked out when he came to the Broncos. So don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> the suffering he's caused you on both sides of the balls, Muntlin at Monty. It's actually it's right. Surely it's going to be better this year, Thorin, with Sean Baton. Surely Listen, it's going to be better this year. To be fair, he is Mr. What's that like? Unlimited, Mr. Unlimited, remember? <laughs> oh, God, he's so cringe. Anyway. I'll forget that. I'll never be able to forget that. It's so bad. It's my, so bad. my wife does that to me, and she's, she reminds me of that all the time. It's so cringe. Anyway, uh, so back to the question, snowballing mechanics. Do we care about snowballing mechanics? Um, I am personally. Uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of the snowballing and rubber band mechanics, but also the problem is, is that games are badly designed. In a well-designed game, you do not need heavy rubber band mechanics in esports. The problem with League of like Legends... World, there's no mechanic in that, mate. If, you, if you're ahead, yes. you're ahead. If you're behind, you have to come back, yeah. Right. Quake, and the thing, them, yeah. Brood War was very well designed in that there were tactics within the game where you could uh there were like force multipliers where you could come back like you know for the most part you could have an infinite number of marines but you are not going to get up a ramp with lurkers at the top of it that just wasn't going to happen right so there were tactics that you could use to come from behind in brood war that were really great you know good control over scourges versus aerial units right uh good harassment on people's workers and grinding them you know multi-pronged attacks there were a lot of things you could do in micro and macro that could cause you to come back from behind the problem with league of legends is that once a team has a gold lead at 15 minutes they win almost all of the time and so they had to introduce or they felt they had to introduce more you know bounties and other rubber band mechanics in order to come back or in terms of snowballing, like the snowballing mechanic of having more items and stats than your opponent. Um, so I think it's I think it's mostly garbage and bad design. And I'm not a fan of either sports or esports that that snowball hard. It's one of the worst parts of League of Legends, I would say, if not the single worst part. Not just do you mind, in general. Do you mind? Do you mind loss bonuses in CS:GO? I mean, in theory, because of the way the economy works, like if someone was up 10-0 and there was no like cap to the money, if you had like 50k each, it would it would make the game sort of a bit silly in some regards. So I don't hate it. The problem in the modern day was this. It used to have an extremely hard reset where it could fuck you if you lost one key round. And then they made it too weak. And the annoying thing is they refused to just incrementally test it out, like move the lost bonus back up two steps and see how that goes. So I feel like there's a sweet spot in the middle you could go to. It's why every game lasts a million hours now and every map 16, 12, 16, 14. 
14. They made it too much like that. So I mm. feel like I, I don't mind it. It's not bad for CS specifically. It sort of works with the concept of the game. But I do think that essentially they've done it too extreme both directions. What, in your opinion, are some of the most over and underrated decades in terms of movies released during that time? What do you think is the reason for these Easy. decades being over and underrated? Easy. When I did my top 10 movies of all time, I'm not a poser, Monty. Yeah, I love Citizen Kane. I love movies that are like French movies from the 70s. But if I actually had to sit down and I did this and wrote down my 10 favorite movies, they're all from the 90s, the 2000s, and some in the 2010s. So I actually think this is going to shock people. I think those decades are underrated because everyone wants to go, no, nah, no, nah, it's just the 70s, bro. Like, it all became commercial shit. Like, no, no, there was a lot of commercial shit because there's so many more movies made, though. Like, the 90s is mad underrated. Man, the amount of movies in the 90s are unbelievable. Even some of the, like, sort of, like, smaller movies that, like, some fucker, like, Mickey Rock or someone's in. Like, some of those are just, like, really good watches in their own right, even though they'll never be a big box office movie, you know? I mean, I think the 80s and 90s are generally underrated for film for the reason I said earlier. There is a purity of storyline to those movies that makes sense. And they may be more formulaic, but the formulas are generally pretty well executed and they don't have a lot of clutter. Like they have memorable characters, memorable lines, plot lines that are easy to follow and not super convoluted. Uh, and that's what I like about those those decades in particular is that the focus of the movie is on one thing or one theme or just a couple of themes. Um, and like the actors were also quite good, I think, during that time. I, I enjoyed those decades quite a bit. Uh, have either of you read or watched The Expanse? Uh, I have Funny's not read shit. it. I, it's my shit for sure. I love The Expanse. Have you seen all of The Expanse? No, I think I watched until sometime. I think I maybe watched up to season four. And the problem was, one, I think I was watching some of them when I was high. So I can't remember which episode I was on. I hate to go back and like rewatch an episode. Like, oh, fuck, sure. I've already seen this one. So I'd have to like properly sit down and look at like the episode guide and see which one I stopped at. And the other problem I had with it as a show was, I actually, I told you, I think not only is season one bad, but the problem is the, char the main character from season one actually was the best character in the show. And he obviously, with spoiler, only lasts like a couple of seasons in. That guy and that actor is pretty legit. So I, I wished he'd have continued on, basically. He had a good ending to his storyline, but he was the best part of the show to me. I actually think the real main guy, the main protagonist, that matter, is garbage. Oh, he's terrible. I think he's the he's worst terrible. part of the show. He is. So there's two problems, which is that Stephen Strait, the actor who plays Holden, is a bad actor. And then also that the character of Holden is a bad and very boring character. Um... However, the rest of the characters in that show are generally quite interesting, especially Amos, I think, is a fascinating character throughout the course of that show. And the thing about The Expanse is a lot of people don't like the first season because it's a film noir in space. And then as of season two, it turns into like a giant political space opera. And the genre switches so dramatically that people... My my wife, for example, doesn't like film noir, so really dislikes the first season, but really enjoyed the rest of the series. So it's just weird that it goes from film noir to political thriller. I mean, I guess it's not that weird it, because a lot of film noirs start on, you know, conspiracies or cover-ups or scandals. It's just that, so for example, if you watch Chinatown, right, there's a water conspiracy that's going on, right, to enrich people in, in Los Angeles. But at the end of the movie, instead of that conspiracy blowing up and going public it's just pointless because the rich people hide it and 
you know, they they say, forget about it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Like, you can't do anything even though you That's have this knowledge. It's a systemic problem, you know, a bit like <laughs> right. It's kind of up and yeah. for me. It's like, what? Right. Nothing exactly. Happened. Yeah, nothing Exactly. Happens. So, like, the whole, the whole thing about film noir <laughs> is that the, the corruption wins in film noir, right? And so the end of it is, is kind of a, a, a letdown. The thing about The Expanse is the corruption can't be hidden. And so because they discover, you know, this alien artifact that starts self-replicating, basically. And so it changes the entire political landscape of the solar system. And so it's kind of like a, a different take on the result of a film noir style conspiracy, which I really enjoyed just as a kind of cool exercise. But it does become a political thriller and it becomes extremely fucking good, especially in seasons two and three and is definitely worth your time. All the, like I said, all the characters outside of Holden are, are very interesting. Um, they they have super different backgrounds, super different motivations. They're all in the ship together, so you get to see those. You know, like you know, I love Amos, I love Bobby. Like the the female Martian Marine is a super super cool character. Um, yeah, I think I I really enjoy that series. I really really enjoy that series. The acting outside of C Stephen Strait is really good. Uh, if you can get past the first season, I mean, I like I said, you might enjoy the first season like me. If you don't, it's worth soldiering through it so you can get to the super good parts of the show later on. By the way, the worst part of this even straight actor is he acts every scene like this, like he's been on the freeze pipe. It's like, yeah, he has, he like squints a lot. Like, <laughs> it's really bad. It's like, bro, you don't have any range. What are you doing? Uh, yeah, yeah, well, it, it's it's hard. It's one of those. It's one of those chicken and the egg things where I'm not actually sure he's a bad actor because the character is so bad and so boring that what do you even like? What would a good actor do with that books? role? Is that one you're interested in reading? Do people say not, they're good? Nah, I mean, so I might people do say they're good. They're, they were very much inspired by Game of Thrones. So it's a oh, it's okay. actually two guys who write under a pseudonym. So there's two authors that work that collaborate. Yeah. And I think they write different character viewpoints, but it's, it's constructed like game of Thrones where it's it, very deliberately like game of Thrones, uh, where it's from one character's view to, viewpoint to another character's viewpoint. Um, and the reason why they had to stop the show is because there's a time jump of 20 years at the end of the show, like the book that the show ends on. And so you, how do you do that with the same pool of actors without recasting everything? And, also, I think it was kind of a niche show, but super good. I, I really enjoyed that show. Um, on past episodes of By the Numbers, Rich and Thorne were asked if they knew a generally smart and erudite CSGO pros to which they came up with Kerrigan, who has a master's degree and is generally very introspective about life. Are there any League of Legends pros who are not only good at clicking mouse buttons, but also smart outside the rift? I mean, Bjergsen, I think, is one of them. Like, legitimately, that guy reads a ton is super curious like one of the things he said upon his retirement was that he didn't have the kind of time to have a normal early 20s like i think he'll he will go back to college whenever i talk to bjergsen we never talk about league of legends we talk about philosophy and books and um you know anything intellectual curiosity outside of it so i think bjergsen is is certainly one of those players I mean, the obvious example would be Faker, since actually he oh, yeah. ironically said he was learning English, like, for fun. He doesn't even mm -hmm. speak in English to anyone, just doing it for fun. Like, <laughs> yes. Fuck? Okay. All right, bro. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've been watching and reading lately some stuff about artificial intelligence, and I stumbled upon an interesting blog post titled Meditations on Moloch by Scott Alexander, which is essentially about the concept of the race to the bottom that promotes unhealthy competition at the expense of the bigger picture. 
Having that concept in mind, do you think that further developing AI is a good idea or can it eventually prove itself to be a serious problem? Well, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on this. Um, what I will say is that any attempt to regulate artificial intelligence when it's such a clearly important technology for the future is going to be a fool's errand because there's always going to be somebody who is going to cut corners in order to do it faster, right? We can't control what the Chinese government is going to allow. We can't control what, you know, potentially people a company who moves very specifically, you know, there's going to be some country out there that doesn't want to put restrictions on things and a, a company will be created within that country's borders in order to do this faster. It's scary. Like it could be very scary, but there's no stopping it. And I don't think there's really going to be regulation on it either. Not serious regulation. There's a saying in the occult that dabblers get fucked. So I don't think anyone should interact with the AI. I think it is essentially, I say essentially, just as like do a lot of heavy lifting there. I think it's demonology. So basically the reason why I would say I find it very sinister is they claim like crypto Monty, oh, it's going to do all these things amazing and you better get in now. But then you sit back and nothing's happening. No one is like revolutionizing the world doing all these things. But here's the real message of what they want you to do. They want every single human to interact with crypto and AI. That seems to be the central message. It's not that someone will do it. It'll do your whole, it's like, you better get in now. You better get this one now and install it on your PC and here's a free one and start asking it questions, asking about yourself. Like, I think it's fucking, I think it's the digital Ouija board. I'm not fucking with it at all. Yeah, it does seem, but I, there's also just no stopping it at this point in time. Like I said, the research is going to continue. There is. The Amish like, have got the secret, mate. Disconnect. <laughs> Build a well. barn. <laughs> Chop the fight of the lines. There you go. All I'm going to say is this, boys. I used to laugh at the Amish too. Think about the last four years. They've been being chilling. No problems yep. at all. Having a great fucking time. Same life for them. All I'm going to say is, yeah, they've sort, of, they've sort of proven the efficacy of their lifestyle, mate. You don't have yep. to agree with it, but it did work. It did, <laughs> it work. did work. Also, it, it after they do the rumspringa where they let people go into normal society, almost all of them come back, choose to come That's back. That's pretty interesting too, yeah. It, here's the, What I think is so cool about the that Amish. shows you, by the way, that you don't have to believe in the religion. That shows that family and community is the most central thing to a human's life to me. That's what they actually must learn from that. And what, what I love about the Amish is that they don't create, you know, cultures of fear or the expectation. Like a lot of cults will say, well, you know, you'll lose every, you know, we'll, you'll be an outcast. That's not what they do. They're like, all right, just go do your stuff. We'll always be here. Goodbye. You can come back if you want. Um, so they don't create that that same fear, which I think is great. It's the prodigal sun vibes in it. Yep. Assuming the four world seeds from LPL and LCK will be the current top four. So JDG, BLG, Top esports, LNG, Gen G, KT, D plus, and T one with Faker back. Which team do you see as the least patch slash meta resistant and the highest risk of not making it to the knockout stage? Uh, I mean, I do think in a world because at the moment BLG is really good. In a world where like the game just wasn't at all about ADC, I think they would be way worse. Yeah, there's one for you. Yeah, D plus I mean, even that good now, so I don't even know why we're even including them, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, D plus, D plus is probably <laughs> the answer. Um, because like, if if you go into like a pure tank jungler meta, I don't, I don't really know how D plus wins games. Um, KT could be an interesting one because we haven't seen, uh, the, we've seen some depth to KT, but they they're mostly playing by the same kind of 
supportive mid laner playbook plus a zero right now. But we know BDD from his history can play a variety of different things, and it seems to be working for them. Maybe, maybe LNG because they have some like a carry top meta for LNG would probably be pretty bad. Whereas like BLG could probably handle that one. Um, a carry top laner for Gen G would also carry top meta for Gen G would also be pretty shit. That'd be pretty shit. So there's a few for you. Uh, there is a general perception that since players get mechanically better over time, great teams now are also better than great teams of the past. Well, it's true just from an evolution of tactics as well. However, with Riot simplifying the macro of the game over the years, do you think that the top teams of recent years have a better macro understanding than the teams of the past? Yes. Nah. I mean, that, that's unquestionable. Nah. You don't? Put it this way. I'll just make it simple for you. We'll just use LEC, right? <laughs> If I take last two last split, Monty, Mad Lions and, and BDS, do they understand macro in league better than G2 2019? I guess it depends on what you mean by macro. I think what was interesting about G2 was that they came up with very creative compositions and win conditions. So if you are talking about compositional analysis and knowing how to play out weird situations that you create, then yeah, I think G2 is one of the best macro teams of all time, in fact. Like, I see this still in CSGO. They say the same thing about CSGO because it's a religious mantra, like all of culture, built around the idea that progress continually happens and everything gets better. It's one of the most stupid ideas ever. Look at architecture, look at music, look at spirituality, look at family. These have all degraded and regressed, you fools. So what I would say is this. When I actually look, one of the great things, it's why we had that old discussion about Faker or Xiaohu or Hai, is if you're a mega veteran who deeply understands, like, not the meta, the core principle, principles of how the game plays out. You see this with perks for sidelining and flanking and coming in for winning players in past years. They can take that for years beyond the best player. Meanwhile, the new hotshot mid laner, yeah, he might be sick at playing Silas, but does he actually know how to do that? Did Vethio know that? Nah, he doesn't have that understanding yet. So I also think it depends where we're capping it. Like if we're talking about just the top teams, like the greatest team now, in theory, JDG probably should know more than like RNG of 2018. That's okay. But if we're talking like the whole, the idea that like they do that thing they do in basketball, like if you sent a bench player back now, he would be the MVP in 1960. Woody fuck. In the NBA, no, he wouldn't. He absolutely would not, mate. So I, I don't think it's... It's not like... Here's the thing. Everyone doesn't get the knowledge. A bit of it disperses out through coaches and playing against that. But I think essentially truly great players, yeah, probably do take that knowledge and build on the shoulders of giants. But like, somewhat, like for example, that's why I get the Mad Lions BDS one because they're not the truly great teams of all time. So to me, they wouldn't be as good as G2. Yeah, but at the same time, things like vertical jungling in the past that were innovative, now anybody can do in solo queue that wasn't being done at the time, right? So they there have people been... can do it. People still fucking up all the time. <laughs> sure. But uh, the concepts, there are some like macro concepts this that anybody can do now. Do you remember the two greatest players of LCS? Last split, Doublelift traded a minion for the game. And the year before, Bjergsen traded a fucking like a kill for like the entire, or like the base race for the entire game as well. Like he lost like a whole thing off. Like these are two of the most veteran players ever. So where's that? If any of their lodge went backwards, they got stupider. <laughs> they regressed. Probably drinking too much tap water in America. <laughs> Based. <laughs> Would you ever do a retrospective of Samsung Blue? I think they are possibly a top 10 team of all time, but are completely forgotten compared to other teams of the era. Uh, 
I think, well, what's wild about Samsung Blue was that their their legacy has been erased because Samsung White won Worlds, even though Samsung Blue can continuously beat Samsung White in best of fives for most of 2014 and was the better team for most of 2014. And also immensely did immensely well with Dade in the mid lane. Think about that. Dade, Dade and Deft after the you know after Dade and Pawn swapped on the teams they created this juggernaut that really was one of the best late game team fighting and macro teams yeah they had flaws like the laning phase especially in bot lane often went disastrously for Samsung Blue but they were one of the best teams of all time at playing from a deficit um people just don't remember them because they didn't care about their championship title in spring and they got they got buried by Samsung White being so incredibly fucking glorious at the World Championship this year, that year. But yeah, they were. I really think they good. were really good. The real problem I have has always been this: I wish they'd be on the other side of the bracket. Would they have been in the final? Yeah, the, the answer is yes. Differently, yeah. I'd like to see. <laughs> the answer that. is definitely yes. By the way, another team that's a victim of an audible limb. Yep. Uh, what do you think about Joel Cohen's Macbeth with Denzel Washington? I haven't actually seen that one. Um, which one, which was the last version of Macbeth that I saw? The one with Michael Fassbender I saw and I thought was really good. Um, but I have not seen that version of Macbeth yet, but I do want to watch that one. The answer I is, don't care at all about Shakespeare. If I start a Shakespeare movie and they actually speak with the Shakespeare, I turn off. It's over. It's okay. <laughs> I adore Shakespeare. Thoughts on the, the wall by season one <laughs> and the expense season. Just, just uh, weighing it up. Just giving all you know, the, fair, <laughs> the full picture. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, Thoughts on the wall by Pink Floyd. Mega. It, One of the best good. concept albums ever. Yep. That's definitely and up for in alley. I'll probably do a video on my side channel about this one day. What's funny is what I like about Pink Floyd, as always, is what everyone else hates. They hate that Roger Waters sort of took over the band and started doing it all himself because famously on the wall and then going on, he supposedly just wrote most of it and then he just brought them in to do the instruments instead of letting them properly have their creative freedom. But if you know me, I'm on some Howard Rock shit, aren't I? I don't think it should be a fucking commie world where we're all just input equal ideas and fuck everything up by committee. I actually think Roger Waters was brilliant. I think the final cut's great. I think essentially for me, he was the favorite person in the band. So I love the wall. I think it's mega. And yeah, the movie's good. pretty good too. It's a musical, obviously, but it's pretty good. Listening to the Best Damn League show episode with CL got me thinking, could there be a parallel between LEC's arguably all-time low collective strength and their new format, which prioritizes high performance every game over high learning? No. The, the weirdest part about that to me was this. I think it's actually a bullshit argument. Spoiler, they used to say when it was LEC and it ran nine weeks, that you've got to just practice for this next BO1, you've got to win these two BO1s this week. It was the same shit. Was, he complained because he's on a team that could finish ninth and 10th, guys. Think it through. Why does no one on G2 and Fnatic complain? Because they're just fucking loving it, aren't they? Get rid of the shitters and we just get one of the BO1s in three weeks. <laughs> like, I don't even think it's true. The number one problem of all Western teams is they don't play for improvement and fundamental yes. like, level up. They just play to win the game. That, they, you, you guys even tell me every time, well, why would they improve? They can already beat their region, as I told you. Don't say that to me. I am someone who's shadow boxed against myself and the greats. Like, I'm not trying to be fucking just do what Fion does. Spoiling, no one even remembers Fion now. I'm still here. <laughs> I bet he's uh, there, was a... <laughs> <laughs> there was a world where the 2020 DRX had Khan and Kanavi instead of Doran and Pioshik. 
uh, which apparently fell through due to sword suing CB Max. Uh, is that true? Okay. Uh, how much do you think that roster would have accomplished? I mean, that would be a fucking amazing roster, if you don't remember. Like, obviously, that had Kerry yeah. on it, had fucking Death, yep. Chovy. Yep. That would be, like, one of the all-time great rosters, potentially. Yeah, could have been that really good, insane. especially especially with those players at that point in time. And that's even my theory, because I actually do think what fucks the guys, I said it before, like the equivalent between CSGO and Valorant and how in the modern day you have to take chances in league instead of trying to minimize mistakes, which is the Korean approach. My opinion is this. If you really want Korea to beat China and be number one again, here's what you need. Give CV Max whatever roster he wants. Because I think that guy is a fucking genius, mate. Think of the players he scouted. He's got an amazing mind oh, for yeah. the game. He's even doing well now with Guangdong. Another group of rookies doing pretty well. If Riot removed all the band-aids from League, like top tower armor, plates, support jungle item taxes, what would the meta look like? Um, I mean, it would be more exciting to watch because it would be less like solo queue. They just have taken away the creativity that pro players are able to have. Like the whole top tower durability changes to prevent roll swaps prevented a lot of creativity. People didn't like it because it didn't look like solo queue and because it was a PvE race a lot of the time. But it was an evolving meta and it did allow for greater champion diversity, in my opinion. And it led to more interesting and unique mid and late game states from a macro perspective. Remember, I was the one who liked lane swaps. So... But you didn't. And everybody complained. And Riot was like, this game's too weird for the average person to watch. Let's make it more boring. And also, let's be real. There is a world where you can argue that there would be a lot of games that you wouldn't like. Like, spoiler, my boy Froggen would just scale for 55 minutes while not being ganked, wouldn't he? And then try and win a game with, like, fucking six-item Cogmore, like, the most damage of all time. You know what I mean? Like, like, like three fucking death caps or something like that. Yeah, he would just go mental, wouldn't he? Like, some of that you wouldn't like. You wouldn't like it. I would. I wouldn't give a shit, would I? Who is the biggest underachiever in LOL and esports history? Underachiever. I mean, Dade has to be up there. Relative to his peaks, it's really oh, depressing. Sure. Yeah, uh, I mean, his international performances were mostly disastrous. Um, I guess 2014 Worlds he did okay, but 20, 2013 Worlds, famously, that's where the Dade Award came from. Um, but especially because he faded out relatively quickly, despite being probably, you know, arguably the best mid laner in the world at points in time in 2014. Uh, it is disappointing to, to see how his career ended up. I mean, if we're talking only when he says underachiever, not like the idea they didn't play well, but they didn't win the championships. Actually, rookie's got to be in there. Dude, his actual trophy cabinet's fucking whack compared to how good he was. Like, yeah. this guy could have won it all. Uh, not because of his own doing. No, he it's did fine. That's just the way teams. the game is, yeah. Yeah. That's the saddest thing about he's, team he's games. Like Dan, he's, he's, like, he's like Dan Marino, dude. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll give you even a modern-day example. Look, he wasn't as great as these people, but he was always above average. Matthew Stafford was always an above-average quarterback, but because he played for the Lions, people act like he was a bomb. Dude, That's did you right. even see when he won the Super Bowl, like a no-look pass? What are you talking about? The guy was the yeah. guy was always really good. He just wasn't like the absolute best, but he was, way, he was way better than people give him credit for. So that's the sad thing about team sports. You can cap you. And now he probably wishes he was on the Lions again. Tragic. He did get the ring, though, so good for him. <laughs> uh, how much preparation goes into making an episode of Summoning Insight besides guest booking, watching games, working with sponsors? Uh, you guys make creating this amazing content look easy and organic when it is anything but. 
I don't think anything goes into it, does it? We just turn, up, turn the cameras on. <laughs> also, I love this version of Thorne absolutely disemboweling Frankie and Double Lift. We all do. It's great. Great entertainment. Um, I mean, when we talk about creating an episode of Summoning Insight, obviously, you know, Andrew, our producer at Slash uh, Everything Guy at LFN, you know, he's he's doing a lot of work making sure we have the right ad reads up. Um, you know, get, first off, we work a lot with agencies or with the sponsors in order to get these deals done. Shout out to Trolley, our most recent sponsor on BDLS and Power Spike. Love that. Um, you know, Liquid IV, Freeze Pipe. Thank you to all of those people, esports bet that have come in. Really appreciate it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a lot of work on that side, on the business side to get this stuff done. When it comes to summoning insight, I mean, I am watching a fuck ton of VODs every week. And yes, it it's not just work for summoning insight, it's work for Monty and Wolf, it's work for Power Spike. Um, unfortunately, due to my kind of fragmented schedule, it's difficult for me to stream because I don't have you know, four hour blocks where I don't have business meetings basically, or other obligations and things to do. So mostly it's just a lot of research, you know, me looking at stats. Um, but when it comes to the actual show, yeah, we basically just show up, turn the cameras on and talk about what happened. We don't really plan out the show in any way. We have done so hundreds the, and hundreds and hundreds of episodes. Yeah. It's all about the, the actual, the actual making of the show is easy. The research and preparation to put the show together is the more difficult part. It's, it's, it's like keeping up with everything. People used to ask the same thing about by the numbers. Like, how do you do a show like that? You are aware that literally that was me and Richard Lewis's life, is to watch the games, watch this, know what's yes, going exactly. on. Like, like, essentially, this is just like a fucking byproduct of what we're doing anyway. Correct. Correct. Uh, now, it, it was obviously if you can double up like Dom does with streaming, that's the ideal way to do it. And I wish I could do more of that these days, but unfortunately, the reality of trying to get LFN together, which is my more important goal, means that a lot of the research and stuff has to happen off camera. Um, but hopefully, that will change in the future. Uh, which legacy NA or EU players do you think could have had a better career in Asia than their career in the West? Maybe Huni. He did have a temporary, you know, Rudd on T1, obviously. Like the obvious one, it feels like, is Impact, right? He could still sure, have played at world-class leveling. He could have been, I don't know if he will win Worlds, but he could have been up there in the big international tournaments way more, I feel like. I mean, Bo, without scandal, probably could have done more in the LPL to this point in time that he's doing right now. An obvious one's Piglet. It was never talent. This guy's a very talented player. He just had a weird attitude, didn't he? So I think he could have done way more too. Yeah, it's mostly going to be Korean or Chinese players that went to the West. Uh, just because there would have been... I mean, Doublelift might have been able to do more in China. Who will ever know? Who will ever know? Uh, does it bother you that in team sports, some all-time great players never managed to win the big one? Thinking back, I cringe at the fact that Score man never managed to win Worlds, but fucking Pioshik is a world champion, or that Nico never won a major, but Norbert did. Um, was it for all no. games, he said, or was it just League? <laughs> Overall games, I mean, you mentioned Nico for CS. Um, I don't really care that much because it doesn't affect my enjoyment of that player or my ability to look at their play, you know, the... Yeah, but you have to enjoy all the idiots telling you... Uh, That's the worst part. That's the worst part. It's, it's, it's you know. the nephews. It's <laughs> the nephews that are the worst part. It's not my, my own personal enjoyment yeah. uh, that is affected by it. It's mostly just idiots telling me that they weren't good. 
I mean, I've got lots of classics, and I'll give you, these are all people who in their game could have won the World Championship. So in league, you've got like Froggen, Flame, Name, these are good ones. Obviously, my boy Existence in CSGO. I also wish Nico had won one. Guardian's a great one. I wish he'd been able to get one at some point in time. These are just tragic that they didn't win, yeah? Like, these are way better than most of the people who did win at their prime. I mean, Score, score is, a, a obviously, because he's my favorite player, is one that I am sad about. But there's still a chance never won for Worlds. Yeah, there's there's still a chance he can win his coach. Still that chance going. So perhaps that will people happen. now will never understand how good Smeb was. Because it's been a day win worlds like brilliant. Thanks. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Fuck off, have you? If Lull drops the constant patching and left the game alone for years at a time, do you think real counters to things like Zeri, Yumi when they were at the height of pick ban would uh, be found, leading to better shifting on its own. Oh, yes, we we found how many champions there are. <laughs> yeah, look how many champions there are, guys. People would experiment with new things. We literally have seen this in Brood War. Okay, we know that things that were considered extremely powerful in Brood War, especially when Terran was at the peak of their powers, people found ways to beat it. People found ways to beat it. And um, people would find stuff like they'd find some weird angle where they'd run the math on like because Power of Evil's done this before where you just find some like item build or like room set that actually no one uses but actually it's like really good for one specific thing and suddenly you can split push with you know like there's always some angle like that you can come up with I think yeah and when things are the same for a long period of time you have more chance to really dive deep if you're if you're constantly trying to play catch up to the latest patch notes and figuring out what's the strongest and easiest thing to do immediately. That's when it leads to a lot of stagnant play. But average players like that, because they don't want to wait months or potentially even years for, for people to find the alternative. But we literally know what happened because Brood War stopped patching in 99. And so, to be fair, at least in StarCraft, there were things that tournaments could do because it, the map makers were the main way of balancing the game. So there were other levers to pull in terms of the metagame and balance uh in starcraft so it's not exactly a one-to-one -one, but i do think that people can be creative i do think that the meta will evolve regardless of patches or not what is your take on creators copying other creators content i don't know if it's just me but travis gafford's blatant ripoff of lec's pop quiz always rubbed me the wrong way i mean what a is a weird take uh, what has Travis ever done that was original, guys? No, but the, weird, the, the thing that's weird about that is this, Monty. I, all they did is a concept that exists in other games and other things. They didn't invent a pop quiz. And the reason why I actually like that he does it, I don't watch it, is because no one does it in LCS. So he does like an unofficial yep. version of it. I don't have a problem with that. That's fine. Like, that would be like saying that like someone invented the concept of having like a fucking game show. So they didn't. So yeah. I picked something different. I do think when they did stuff like people ripped off like Ovalee's morning show, that was a bit too on the nose. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you obviously only did that because they did it. So look, Travis has definitely ripped off some stuff, but I don't think that was not even that egregious, man. That's, I mean, he's had, here's what thing people forget. He's not Jake Lucky. Like, he does add something to the community by doing that pop quiz. Like, if you sure. want to see LCS pros answer the question, he's done it for you. So look, hit on him for the things worth hitting on him for. That's just whatever. He's doing a good job there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it's uh, the rest of the questions. I'm sure at some point Travis gave credit, but something about how he made a joke of calling it surprise test felt really insidious as he tries to appear harmless and make a meme out of blatant copying. Oh, yeah. Well, if he called it pop quiz, you'd go mentally like called it pop quiz. So now he can't win at all, guys. You set up an impossible scenario. <laughs> what should the etiquette be for copying content? Uh, well, I, I don't, like I said, I don't think this was particularly innovative. To me, the most egregious thing that Travis does is that his entire existence 
is him making other people make content for him. When has Travis ever had a unique thought or an opinion that was respectable or interesting? All he does is interview other players, interview players, do pop quizzes where other people provide the content, run a talk show where other people call in and provide the content, or his guests provide the content, or put Mark Z's content on his channel. Can we have... He also breaks news despite repeatedly not calling himself a journalist, yet over time does more and more journalistic I mean, work. He breaks it like this, like, guys, I, I heard this. And it's like, he just heard that 10 minutes earlier. But we're going, quick, get the video out, get the video out. And that's why he even thought, oh, no, no, obviously, I don't yeah. know the details. Like, no, my but, problem but, is this. You can't, in my opinion, you can't steal ideas. Like an idea, if you take it and you do a good job with it, then in some sense, you understood it and you made it work. There are you no original steal, ideas, by the way. You can steal all about execution. You can steal content. If you ever take a clip of mine and just put it on YouTube, I will copyright your whole channel. That's it. Game over. Yeah, and it's just about execution. I think the problem with the surprise test is that there's not unique execution with Travis. It's There's nothing fun. Like, anybody could do what Travis is doing. You could literally... The problem with Travis is you, you can replace Travis. You can replace Travis with any other person, and the content is identical. Yeah, but here's the problem. Who's the person competing with Travis trying to do that in LCS? <laughs> Well, Degon's Degon's doing it now in terms of actual interview content. And I think his content's better. Well, let, let him do a pop quiz then. Then we'll see if he can actually compete. <laughs> Go on then. Fucking open up all me. Yeah, maybe. Um, I think Thorne may have made the comparison once or twice, but I've rarely seen anyone make the comparison between 2019 and 2020 G2 and the OG C9. What are your thoughts on this comparison? As a fan of both teams, G2 really felt like they had the best qualities of that high-led C9 with better quality players. I mean, he I mean, means I think, in the sense of like they could always come from behind and they could sort of like find their way creative. Or had, it, or had like a, a unique in on the game that made them difficult to defeat because they played the game in their own style, I guess. Because like objectively, they're pretty different teams. I mean, for start of G2, it's just way better in context and objectively in all senses than the other team. But yeah, see, they both yeah, had yeah. a unique quality, sure. Yeah, they had. They also had very different strengths, you know, and yes. players that were like which players were carrying the team. Um, you know, the limitations of highest champion pool and mechanics made C nine work in a really weird way, but it was overcome with his shot calling abilities, right? Um, and his ability to prop up Medios in the jungle. So I guess the similarities are that they both overperformed relative to their region because they played unique game styles that other teams, especially internationally, were not necessarily prepared for. Also, fuck everyone in the West wanting to hear about Cloud9 from 2014. I did an article series in 2014 for On Gamers where I watched every single Cloud9 game and then wrote a three-part massive article series and everyone downvoted it on Reddit. So go suck my dick. There you go. I did it all. I said everything I need to say, but you didn't see it, did you, fuck face? So see ya. Don't vote this video on Reddit, you twat. Oh, they will. Don't worry. Uh, do you think that overly analyzing slash dissecting a book can take away from the enjoyment of reading it? No. I mean, I just don't do that. Like, I'm, what I do is I enjoy the book, and then later I might think back on of it or think of some angle. I'm not in the moment going, stop, like, what's going on here? What's going on here? If it's a good book, I'm just enjoying the story, you know. I have an absolutely crazy ability to live in the moment in fiction, which is why that spoilers don't bother me, because I literally will just forget the spoilers while I'm enjoying the piece of fiction. 
And to me, it's all about the execution of an idea, not that a twist happens. It matters how it happens. Um, so I can actually just completely disassociate from analysis or knowledge and then come back and apply it later on, as Thorin is saying. Uh, with Rashidin's Street Fighter VI being able for play one week before the Capcom Pro Tour adjacent Evo this year, the ruling for this has basically been found on a fan website on a dude-trust-me-bro basis, okay? Do we finally conclude that all game developers will prioritize their own bottom line first and foremost over com competitive integrity with no exceptions? Yes, because they have a different motivation. Their motivation is to sell you Rashid, which is an expansion character for Street Fighter VI. And so they want him to be broken, and they want to disrupt and have him be present within Basically, the latest you mean Zari, then. Yeah. No, it's, it's the same shit. It's like Riot wants to have their new champions be powerful because it sells more of those champions, and they don't care about it as an entertainment product, even when Zeri is fucking horrible for the bro meta. There you go. The answer to it. Yep. I don't know if it's Street Fighter Riders, I don't care. <laughs> On Nerd Legion, you said Amelia Clark and Jon Snow are bad actors. Well, it's Kit I mean, Harrington. Jon Snow wasn't the actor, but yeah, whatever. It may as well be Jon Snow, right? <laughs> it may as well be. Uh, they are. They are bad actors. Yeah, a common defense. Tell us they're not, though, right? Come on. No, 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 no. A common defense is she fits the part of acting like a teen or poker ice broody face young adult. So it's supposed to be bad in a good way. Dude, you could act better as a teenager than she did. How does one tell bad acting from good acting without acting experience and knowledge? Comparing their acting to the Lannisters' acting seems weird when it's different. Well, first off, I actually spent 15 years acting on stage and have done over 30 live theatrical productions in my life. So I am and an also, actor. Also, <laughs> in season four, you pretended to be the coach of CLG, even though oh, I was really good at it. Behind <laughs> the scenes, it was fake. You even did it in documentaries and on camera. You came to the LCS and it turned out the whole time it was just Link and Doublelift saying press R on Sivir. That was all it was. Yeah, yeah. it's too bad they couldn't figure out how to select it was like a method themselves. Role. You were like Daniel Day Lewis. You really embodied that role, lived it. The is, Monty's so like Daniel Day Lewis. You know how famous he on, on I, I even fooled Reginald. You know, on set, he doesn't have a break character. Well, even when I went to Korea and heard him coaching CLD, I, well, it was just me. It was just sure to make my, me over to the whole, the whole scam. Yeah, my mic wasn't even plugged into the computer. That was, that was the whole thing. It was all a ruse. Um, well, look, just take just take da Daenerys's role and tell me if this is an interesting character. She is married to what is supposed to be basically a, a Mongol leader, right? Uh, you know, forcibly, basically. And she undergoes great tragedy, becomes maybe the most powerful person in that entire world due to her dragons. She goes and disrupts old methods of power through what appear to be somewhat at least noble intentions initially and gets tangled in this love relationship with a secret noble from her own family. Like that is an interesting character. Now you tell me if Amelia Clark was interesting in that series or had nothing to work with as an actress. And yet she is repeatedly the most boring person in all of the scenes that she's in. It's simple. Like, it's basically this. All these questions always come back to the same thing. They don't trust themselves, Monty. They don't trust their instincts. 
you sharpen them over time. Like, by the way, just amount of reps and experience is one of the reasons. Like, I'm not an actor, but I've seen a bazillion movies, haven't I? And then if I like an actor, I watch, like, like I'll give you a classic old school one. It's an old school shout now, but modern day people are never going to watch them. If you want to see a really good actor from a very old time period in movies that otherwise won't hold up, it's James Cagney. It's fucking phenomenal, mate. He just leaps off the screen. You'll be when you watch people like him and Humphrey Bogart, you'll just be like, everyone else is a cardboard yep. cow. He's a real fucking. Or Marlon Brando. He's an actor now that could be in a movie today, Look. but he's in one six. So essentially, you'll just learn. You'll pick up intuitively what it is that they're doing that works. Look, all you have to, if you want to know good acting versus bad acting, go watch Marlon Brando in an, a streetcar named Desire, the Tennessee Williams play. It's a very famous play. Watch how Marlon Brando acts in that movie compared to everyone else who is so fucking wooden and he is absolutely crushing it in some of these scenes. Watch the scene where Marlon Brando is eating this chicken. He is eating this chicken, just eating chicken. He is out acting the other actors at this table in such a crazy way. It's almost unbelievable. It's like they are, it, it, it's like they are in two different universes. So uh, it's easy to tell, like, I mean, nobody, everybody knows, like, Daniel Day-Lewis is fucking amazing, right? Look at all of the different the parts he's example for that one is Gangs of New York's not a good movie. He's no, unbelievable. I hate that movie. I think the movie is dog shit. I'm not, I actually don't like Scorsese very much, but he is incredible in that movie. He is incredible. Also, like, it's another, like, I've always thought a good shout as well is, right, when Mickey Rock in the 80s got blacklisted for a bunch of shit he did in Hollywood, I watched all the, like, bad independent movies he made in the 80s. He's mega in most of them. The movies is shit. Like, the story's crap. The other actors are bad. No special effects. Budget. Loads of these roles, he just nails them. Like, there's even one where he plays sort of, like, a mentally deficient type character. He's fucking unbelievable at that. Oh, there's so many, there's so many good movies. Yeah. Also, in Amelia Clark's case, I now have, I'm now watching her in Secret Invasion, which is like not very interesting. And she just has, she doesn't have facial expressions, guys. How, why does she never have facial expressions in any of her roles? Like, she's not even moving her face. Whatever. Uh, who do you feel is the guest on any of your content that you have been the most able to bring out their best? That's an interesting question. I mean, as I've told people, one of the secrets is a lot of the best talk shows, it's like I've already talked to that person so many times over the years. Essentially, I know what story could come next and I cue them up or I give them a little prod and see if it'll come out. So I'm trying to think of some good ones. The, the best ones usually are the ones where they didn't do that much stuff publicly otherwise. So maybe like... Let me think. It was like a really good one. I'm trying to think of someone who's quite quiet. I'll put it this way. I'll tell you this right now. Even though I'll never work with him again because he is a traitorous Judas Iscariot piece of shit who actually sold out his friend and everyone gay who lives in Korea for the sake of T1 fans. I used to think, go watch any show I ever did with Bwipo and I made him twice as interesting, mate. Because he's another motherfucker that's really interesting. But he loves the sound of his own voice and the sentence never ends and he keeps going and he kills you. Whereas if you notice, people don't like it, Monty. But if I know it's getting boring and you're saying the same thing, I just jump in. I don't care about being yep. the villain. I'm willing to be the guy who's like, what the hell with the steel chair? Like, I do it. So I always thought I was able to keep in on really interesting abstract topics and going into deep stuff. And he would hint at stuff about teammates, even though behind the scenes he was way yeah. spicier. But whatever, there's one for you. There's one from the, the Whippo, archives. is very thoughtful, but you have to keep him on rails. You have to guide him in those conversations and he's really good. 
I asked specifically about the Hold Steady last week. Other favorite band slash albums from your life outside of classical that you guys enjoy? Well, just pick some random ones in, yeah. Sure. Favorite band slash albums? I can't do favorite band. There's just too many. But like, if I just give you a few, like, here's some, I'll just pick some that you won't have heard before. So like, I'm a big fan of that group, the cinematic orchestra, and they did an amazing soundtrack to a documentary Disney did about flamingos. So it's called like the pink flamingos or something. Cinematic orchestra. Look at it. It's some of the most amazing music you'll ever hear. It's orchestral. They used a full orc. Even though the name cinematic orchestra is just usually was a meme. They're actually just like a band, a jazz band. On this one, they actually used a full orchestra. It's absolutely unbelievable. Also, I'm a big fan of the post-rock genre, so I would say a really good one there is um, I like the one called Those Who Tell the Truth Shall Die, Those Who Tell the Truth Shall Live Forever by Explosions in the Sky. It's amazing, mm. like, Texas space where they've all got three guitars and they do all super long, like, and quiet, 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 and then loud, 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 loud and then quiet, and quiet, quiet, and loud, 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 loud. It's, it's really good. It's mega. All the tracks, they've got all the emotion in there, all the rest of it. And I'll just give you a random last one, drum and bass. If you want one of the all-time bangers, even though this isn't that obscure, if you don't know drum and bass, so definitely go check this out. Calix and TB, Anatomy, because essentially it was two of the best ever drum and bass producers, got together and did an album where they made almost every track could be like a single. It could be like the highlight one. So it was just two of the absolute best combine and try to go like 10 out of 10 on the album. No, no filler, no like side project. No, like this is for my grandmother who died of cancer. Like everything's just like, here's a 10 out of 10, motherfucker. And it's one of the best drum and bass albums ever. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, here is a list of some albums. Uh, Brown Bird, they are they were actually a husband and wife uh, folk duo, and he unfortunately died of leukemia, but they produced some beautiful music in the late 2000s slash early 2010s. Uh, Brown Bird, Salt for Salt uh, is an amazing album. I would go with, ooh, let's see here. I'm going to hit a wide variety of genres. Uh, VNV Nation, which I've talked about before on the show, love their lyrics, love their music. Their album Future Perfect is probably my favorite one that they've done. Uh, I would say if you want more classic rock, I would take uh, classic sounding rock, I would say. Uh, I would take the Gaslight Anthem and either take the 59 Sound or American Slang. All the rest of their music is not my favorite, but those two albums in particular I think are quite good. Um, I, one of my favorite albums of all time is a jazz album, uh, simply the names of the artist, John Coltrane and Johnny Hartman. It was made in the sixties. It contains some of the kind of most iconic vocal jazz tracks with a absolutely amazing, you know, with absolutely amazing musicians behind it. It's absolutely great. Uh, let's see here. What else do we got? Um, I would say if you want more jazz, vocal jazz, uh, Melody Gardot's My One and Only Thrill is an all-time favorite of mine. Uh, Hip-hop, Run the Jewels 2. Love Run the Jewels, especially like that second album. I think it's the best one that they've released. Uh, ACDC, Back in Black, all-time every all-time great. Every song on that is a total banger. Um, folk music, Nico Case, Middle Cyclone, insanely good female artist. Um, going back to some music that people might not like that much, if you're not super into it, I would say I'm a big early AFI fan. I do not like AFI's more recent albums, uh, actually any album in the past 15 years, I would say. But Black Sails in the Sunset, one of their early albums is 
a great one. Uh, Gogo Bordello, uh, Super Taranta, Gypsy Punk, one of my all-time favorites, uh, and Flogging Molly, Swagger. There you go. I'll give you four more. So I would do the Burial Truant That one's EP. great. That is, so, yeah. No, not the album. I'm doing an EP for oh, this one. Truant EP, okay. which is one of the later releases. Even though it's an EP, spoiler, he just changed his style. Like, what he would do is he'd do three tracks, but they're like 15 minutes each. Well, spoiler, if you did three minutes, that's an album. He just called it an EP. Then I would do Over the Shadow, Shadows of the Sun, which is more like a sort of, they tried to do like almost like a Gregorian trad angle. You have to look it up. It's very unique. Um... The Cure, Pornography, probably their best mm -hmm. album. It's not at all poppy. It's all sort of like, well, it's part of the dark trilogy, if people know that. And then the last one, to make it funny, you probably never heard of this. It's this really obscure American sort of rock metal band. And the thing is, hasn't even got any tracks that you'd have heard of. It's called um, Metallica, and it's called Metallica. <laughs> you can look that one up. Some people call it self-titled or the Black Album. You never heard of that one, though, guys, so don't worry about that. It's interesting you picked the you picked the black album. I think it's a lot the best of people, I, I agree with you, but a lot of people like to be hipsters and, and yeah, they try to be like a twenty went down. Or, yeah, 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 amazing, yeah. mate. That's like one. That's yeah. a, that's why I told you I'm not a poser. If someone really <laughs> knocks out like me, I could listen to the first like seven tracks of that. Never skip anything. Just oh, it's fucking unbelievable though. So yeah, I don't I don't have to be like I'm picking the obscure one. Like that's just a fucking banger album. Burial Untrue though is such a good album. Also, not the one you picked, but that album is fucking great. Um. Uh. Yeah. I mean, those are just some off the top of my head. Obviously. All right. Next question. We can go deeper next time. Uh, can you all make a cheeks trophy for managers like rogues who absolutely repeatedly devastated a lineup? Um, to deliver that ass to their door, front door photos at all. Just a butt cheeks trophy would be funny. <laughs> maybe when we have more money to do that kind of thing we can that thing um, is though we'd have to be fair like even though i like steve Arnsett, you'd be winning a couple of these <laughs> you yeah exactly you have a couple i mean look it's just like the the raspberries you know sometimes good actors get or good actors good directors good writers sometimes you win an oscar and you win a razzie you can't win them all you know what i mean can't win them all what was the the guy who wrote um the guy who wrote Beautiful Mind, who won an Academy Award, also wrote, you know, Batman and Robin and won a Razzie, oh, really? right? Okay. Yep. That, that was, a, <laughs> what, what's his name? Um, he was doing, we were talking about him on, because he does some of the stuff on the new Star Trek shows as well. Um, but yeah, sometimes, sometimes, you know, you just don't put out your best work. And is it uh, Akiva Goldsman? Yeah, Akiva Goldman. He's the go. he's the Goldsman. He's the showrunner for Strange New Worlds. Um, okay. Well, he's this it, thing. He's making it look like that was the exception of Beautiful Man at this point. Any some of these fucking <laughs> some of this resume. Yeah. Then again, yeah. though, you have to understand, guys. Hollywood's I mean, you did like Cinderella Man. Hollywood's like it, which is an underrated movie. Hollywood's like esports. People also do just take a gig for the sake of having a job. You know, once you're in the industry, you just right. keep going, don't you? Yeah. No, I think it's been he's he's had an up and down career like Beautiful Mind is great. Um, you know, Cinderella Man was good. He wrote that. But he Andy, also wrote... forgets that movie, though, mate. That's actually if you like inspirational movies, it's a really great movie. And also, I think it's very well cast. Like the guy who plays the fucking I can't remember his name. Now. The guy who plays like the villain boxer. He does a really great job, too. The yep. one who was killing people with like yeah, one yeah, punch yeah. and all that crap. He does a great job. That guy nails the role. And I just love yep. Russell Crowe anytime he's in a good movie. Yeah, uh, I really wish they had just made more Master and Commander movies with him. That is one of my 
biggest uh, desires in film also history. Also, what Tilt Semler. Semler, literally a fan of those books. So he says, you know, "Oh yeah, he says." I started reading those books too. His dream is that Pirates of the Caribbean was never released, and so they just kept making those movies. There's about like twenty of them, or sort of mental, isn't it? Oh, there's 21 books. There you the go. There's loads. Yeah, I started yeah. reading the series, and it is really good. Um, they've actually been talking about cast for that as well. That was a good oh, one. Paul Bettany yeah. killed it. Oh yeah. Um, they are allegedly thinking about making a prequel, but obviously that won't have Russell Crowe, so it'll depend on the the casting of it. But honestly, if they if they stay true to the source material, then I think they could do very well. You know, honestly, the problem with the Master and Commander stuff is that historical epics just fell out of style. That was the that was the biggest issue is is that we kind of got into um, more like sci fi and Marvel universe well, after that movie was released. Get ready because my boy Ridley Scott loves him. Is that Napoleon movie coming out? I, I'm Scott actually movie. super hyped. Also, Joaquin Phoenix, fucking great casting for that role. Uh, that's going to be really interesting. I'm I'm interested in that. The only thing sure. someone did point out on Twitter, and they're so right, it's like bro. You make a Napoleon biopic and you use like a shit rock cover of Radiohead instead of, you know, those actual pieces of orchestral music written about <laughs> Napoleon by some of the greatest composers of all time. Ma, I'm missing something. Movies are even about fucking those sorts of orchestral scores. What are you doing? Get the Radiohead cover off. Uh, yeah, including um, including uh, Beethoven's Symphony Number no. 3, which is about Napoleon. You literally have an entire... There you go. Beethoven. Nailed it. Just going to put that out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Eroica. Um, anyway, uh, that's the last question for this week. So thank you very much. Uh, we will be back next week with the conclusion of the LPL regular season. We are fast approaching playoffs in a variety of reasons. First round of the LEC. We will see you then. Just watch the Game of Doc video. <laughs>